Welcome back, Ghoul Gang, to the third episode of Ghoul V Scream Set, Horrortober. Hesse and I are back again, and for the first time, well, not the first time ever in Movie Mindset, because we did do that uh, screening. screening of John Carpenter's In the Mouth of Madness, but for the first time on the official run of the show, we finally get to God John Carpenter. The Don Diva. And uh, by way of introducing the two movies that we have selected from the Carpenter-verse for you today... Um, I will just say that uh, these are the two movies from this run of Ghoul V Scream Set that we will be screening for you at the Roxy Hotel and Cinema on October 30th. So if you're in the New York City area and would like to come see either The Fog from 1981 or Halloween 3, Season of the Witch from 1982, uh, please come by the Roxy Hotel and Cinema. I think one of the screenings is already sold out. I think it's The Fog, but you're not going to want to miss sold out but halloween three is one of it's so good i mean we'll get to it but yeah if you have not seen halloween three already and then you listen to this episode of us describing what actually takes place in halloween three you are not going to want to miss seeing that on the big screen uh hessa so these movies are, are united by a number of different themes and and sort of personalities behind the production of it um there's john carpenter of course who uh, directed The Fog and produced Halloween 3. There is Dean Cundy, the director of photographer of most of John Carpenter's uh, early films, who is the director of cinematography on both of these movies. And they are also united by the, the presence of <laughs> the presence and sexual charisma and magnetism of one Tom Atkins. The coolest, like, friend's dad who lets you drink beers when you're at his house (laughs) of all time. (laughs) Tom Atkins, uh, he was in uh, John Carpenter. This is his first movie with John Carpenter. He is also in Escape from New York. He is, uh, you know, he was in Lethal Weapon. He is in Creepshow, in in the prologue and epilogue of Creepshow. He's in Monster Squad. I mean, he's he's a guy. He's like a sort of a horror horror and kind of action thriller mainstay. But like, I love Tom Atkins because it's just his presence as a leading man in both of these movies is so funny to me and speaks of like a bygone era in which regular dudes could break into Hollywood and be have like successful careers. There's he is just like driving. I mean, we'll get to it, but in. In the fog, he's having sex with Jamie Lee Curtis, it, like within two scenes of him showing up, and it's, yeah, like a nineteen-year-old yes. Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> he just picks up hitchhiking, <laughs> and, and in Halloween three, yeah. and he, in Halloween three, he 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 has ha- he has sex with every woman in that movie. It's it's so Halloween three. We'll get to it, but like I, it's literally about how 
he's the the man with having the most affairs of anyone in the world <laughs> like there will be like a, a secretary that he needs something from like a receptionist at the hospital and he'll be like hey there janet and like put his hand around her in like a weird way and like wink at her and she's like oh <laughs> it's so funny <laughs> he's just fucking everyone uh so yeah, like we we've dedicated this episode of uh, Goofy Scream Set to Tom Atkins, the great Tom Atkins. Hester, you described him as uh, your friend's dad who would let you drink beer in their house. Yes. Like I, that's very that's very much how I see him. I I I, I would also describe him as the friend's dad who smells like cigarettes. Yes. <laughs> why does but, why you know, do you like, have a mom? Like, <laughs> I don't need a mom. We have a big buck hunter machine in my basement. <laughs> I would I would I, I would place I would place some kind of wager on the likelihood that Tom Atkins actually has a big buck hunter machine in his house. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um we talked about on uh the first episode about uh George Romero's Night of the Living Dead and how Romero and most of the people involved in the production of that movie were all from Pittsburgh. And I, I have to shout out, you know, the Steel City for Tom Atkins, a true son, a true Yinzer, a true son of Pittsburgh <laughs> who has made good in Hollywood. And we love to see it. Um, uh, but let's, let's begin with uh, The Fog. Where's The Fog now? Well, it should be right outside my door now. Well, there's something different about this fog. Dan, stay away from the door. Someone listen to me. Get inside and lock your doors. Close your windows. There's something in the fog. Stay away from the fog. From the creator of Halloween, the ultimate experience in terror and suspense. John Carpenter's The Fog, starring Adrian Barbeau, Jamie Lee Curtis, John Houseman, Janet Leigh as Kathy Williams, and Hal Holbrook as Father Malone. The Fog. What you can't see won't hurt you. It will kill you. Between midnight and one, it will find you. Okay, so the two movies today, um, there are ghouls in the fog. There are sea ghouls. Sea ghouls, yes. A there are sea term. ghouls. There are not. There are not really ghouls in Halloween Three. This would be like the the first movie we've uh, we've we've uh, we've uh, highlighted that actually doesn't have ghouls in it. Instead of ghouls, it's Irish people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, we we will we will get to. I mean, if anything, is the hardest thing about talking about the fog is just assuring you, the listener, that we will get to Halloween Three yes, because we, we will keep alluding to things that happen to it, and it yeah. won't make any sense unless you've seen the movie. But I will just begin by saying, in the fog. The source of unnatural, super, like the sort of, the source of supernatural evil is the weather, and yes. or the weather by, as way of an excuse of a punishment for stealing gold from lepers. Yes. And in Halloween three season of the witch, the source of otherworldly horror is, of course, the, the Irish, Irish. <laughs> the Irish who have stolen part of Stonehenge. Um, and 
But yeah, the fog, I, I really love the fact that it's the weather. And not only is it like the weather, but it's like light, you know, like every time they talk about how the fog glows. And so it always happens at night, but it'll suddenly be like blindingly bright and there will be like just the outlines of seagulls approaching. And it's it's very much like it's very Spielberg-esque, the, the fear of the of the light, you know. Don't don't go into the light, especially if it's light contained in a fog bank that's moving against the wind yes. to consume your your fishing vessel of drunk horny men. Yes. Um so on our last episode with Theta, when we discussed uh, Roger Corman's Mask of the Red Death and the, the opening of that movie in which like the the sort of the, the red death is like a figure in red who like bleeds on out of his open palm onto a white rose that turns red and then says a day of reckoning is at hand. I really like the way Theta talked about how she appreciates movies that sort of announce that they're fables. Yes. Movies that uh, sort of like, like uh, bookend what you're about to see by reminding you that it's a story. But what I particularly like about in, in horror films is that like the idea that through our imaginations and through storytelling is where we begin to like sort of crack open the door to the other side and let a kind of... Um, supernatural reality um, sort of permeate the the membrane that separates the the, the, the borders of our two worlds between yes. reality and fiction. The mindset it, it can it can make things that aren't real real. It can it can really bring, you know, it makes the emotions real and that can make the the horrors real, the dreams, if you will. <laughs> and <laughs> hey, this movie begins. Edgar Allan Poe, he's back again. You maybe thought you maybe thought we were done with Edgar Allan Poe with the Mask of the Red Death, but no, he is right back in the mix of John Carpenter's The Fog. The first thing we see, the title card of the movie, is Poe's famous line: "Is that we see, or is all that we see or seem, but a dream within a dream?" Which is a great quote to begin a movie about a ghost story, and it is also. A quote that begins uh, Peter Weir's Picnic at Hanging Rock, another very strange and otherworldly tale that begins by announcing that uh, perhaps the reality that is being depicted or the reality that you're living in is perhaps the uh, counterfeit in some way. Yes, it's a simulation. These are simulation <laughs> movies. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the fog is like the architect in The Matrix. And the yes. seagulls are like the agents. It's like Agent Smith that they <laughs> yes, sent out literally. to terrorize this fake Northern California town of Antonio Bay. Yeah, and I'm mean, like uh, the, the plot of the fog is very simple, and it can be summed up as such. It is basically a movie. It's an it's a purely American ghost story, mm -hmm. in that it is very much concerned with uh, it's uh, the centennial the the the, uh, the history of American towns and a town coming together to celebrate its centennial and to celebrate the founding of this town and the return of a repressed evil and a like a, a disgusting truth about the birth of uh, small town America and America itself. Yeah, and it's that every single town in America is buried on like is built on 100,000 massacred Native American bodies <laughs> and like <laughs> bodies of like you know anyone that isn't doesn't fit into the small town type such as lepers you know or yeah <laughs> in this case specifically lepers you know in, in the shining and the poltergeist it's of course the indian burial ground is 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 a trope or the idea you that move like the, the headstones but not the yeah 
<laughs> um, yeah, that like the the land itself is haunted by you know our our history of genocide and expropriation of land and whatnot. The fog a little bit different because this time the source of ghoulish revenge are of course lepers. I think this movie can be summed up is town of Antonio Bay. World is a shit. Fuck them all. One million dead <laughs> lepers. Yes, and I I really love the when they find the diary in the wall in the church that explains why they're being haunted by the seagulls and the uh, they're reading it and basically what's being described is that there was a guy named Blake who showed up in the town and was like um hey i have like a uh, a billion dollars worth of gold and all these like all these lepers that have like horrible leprosy um do you guys mind if we like build a, <laughs> a colony like right next to you and the town basically d- unanimously decides, like, no, let's just fucking kill him and take the gold. <laughs> <laughs> and and it, it is that it is that heinous act that is coming back to literally haunt this town on yes. its hundredth birthday. And apparently, uh, the incident, um, the uh, the Blake incident that is fictionalized in this movie is uh, based on the real intentional wreckage of a ship. Um, uh, that took place on off the coast of California in the 19th century, near Go- yeah no it's oh, a, an act- the re- the wrecking of the Frolic. It was a ship that was intentionally wrecked, killing all aboard. That took place in the 19th century near the town of Goleta, California. Oh my God! And has, so the movie be- uh, so the movie begins like in, in pure fable mode because the first thing we see on screen is a timepiece. Yes. Just sort of hanging in the in the darkness of night, and you hear it ticking, and then we see that timepiece belongs to a grizzled old sea captain, a sea dog, yes, a salty sea a, dog, a salty a salty old dog, <laughs> yes. and he's got the sort of the Greek fisherman's cap. He's got the the salt and pepper beard, and he's got a great voice. Yeah, and he goes just like time enough, almost time, almost the clock is almost about to strike midnight. Time enough for one more story to keep us warm by the fire, and then we just see the eyes of all these children assembled. It's like Antonio Bay. It's a deceptively nice town, despite all the leper murder. It's yes. such a nice town <laughs> that you can let your nice kids town. hang out on the beach at midnight with the old sea captain. Yeah, with the sea dog. <laughs> He's and not he'll like tell other them spooky stories. You know, nowadays you can't even lock your door, let alone let your kids hang out with the sea dog. He's gonna tell them. <laughs> the sea dog nowadays will tell your kids like some really bad stuff about you know politics, vaccines, or, yeah, vaccines. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I really love like this opening, like kind of not even really, uh, it's like a pseudo framing device kind of that kind of beckons you to put yourself in that kind of childhood mindset of being terrified by a story around a fire. And it kind of, yeah, I, the first time I saw this movie, I was like, really young i think this is the first john carpenter movie i ever saw and i saw it on like amc or something but the opening after this part the of all the spooky stuff happening in town because of the fog i had like never been more scared watching a movie and i was like so like yeah watching this beginning really brought me kind of back there (laughs) being like the scared kid like next to the fire listening to the salty sea dog and I, I don't know about you, Hesse, but like to me, like a, an old sea captain telling a spooky story is like ASMR. Yeah, I, I, like I feel the hair stand up. I can feel the sort of like the tingling climb up my spine. 
But like the, the 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 opening scene of this movie of the ghost story being told around the campfire really like and and, and a good deal of this movie is sort of seen through the eyes of Adrian Barbeau's son. And like there there is a kind of child's perspective on the adult world in this movie and on the adult world like uh, on on horror itself. And I don't know like I did you ever get this way of like being sort of Unna- like sort of like overly enthralled in the habit or like in the work or 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 language or just a communication of an adult who wasn't your your parents i remember like being a, like we had an electrician come to our house and i remember being enthralled as he told me how he was doing his job when i was like seven or eight years old six five six seven i guess like i don't know like there's 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 something about like uh, oh yeah just being enthralled with adults and like who seem like they have you know like uh, lives and jobs and things that they do that aren't your parents. It's like it opens an introduction you up to, a whole to the world outside of fit. Yeah, a whole different world and like a whole. Yeah, I'm sure like there's stuff like that. Like I used to wa- watch like interviews with um, you know filmmakers on YouTube and like behind the scenes videos and just like especially like Martin Scorsese listening to his voice oh, as a yeah. kid. I was like, this guy is the shit. I'm like, wow, what the fuck is he talking about with all these movies? Yeah, like you're like 11 years old. You're like, Rocco and his brothers? I, the, the life and death of Colonel Blimp? Well, I, don't know, rem- I, what, I don't know what any of this means, but man, it sounds interesting. Remind me to tell you um, a story of uh, the fan letter I wrote Martin Scorsese in sixth grade. <laughs> 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 well, we can compose a fan letter to him um, when our Killers of the Flower Moon episode comes to yes, finally Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is all by way of saying, like, I, I was so bereft of um, adult attention that I was fascinated by an electrician rewiring the house. But if I could have been exposed to, like I said, a grizzled old sea captain full of spooky stories of the sea and all of the lives it's claimed... Um, I, who knows how it would have turned out? Well, now, nowadays, kids can just go on YouTube and type in Sea Captain Stories 10 Hours Slooped. <laughs> they can just <laughs> to study and relax. To. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Lo-fi Sea Captain Stories. <laughs> um, but, Hester, you, you mentioned that when you first saw this movie, and now this was Carpenter's follow-up to Halloween. And uh, this was also, he was married to Adrian Barbeau at the time, who is the female lead of this movie. Absolute she plays, dime. Yeah, she's, she's, she is gorgeous and would go on to become like something of a scream queen herself. And actually, sort of the, the sister movie to The Fog, I realized as I was watching this, because it contains basically the exact same cast, is George Romero's Creep Show, which I know we talked about yes. in the first episode, talking about Night of the Living Dead. But Creep Show has, along with The Fog, Tom Atkins. Adrian Barbeau and Hal Holbrook. Yes, Hal Holbrook. Do you remember uh, Adrian Barbeau and Hal Holbrook and Creepshow? I don't. The only thing I remember from Creepshow, my friend actually texted me last night and told me he was watching Creepshow, and I was like embarrassed that the only thing I could remember was the the Stephen King section of it. Yes, yes, where <laughs> he uh, the the alien like moss uh, yeah. consumes him. Yeah, the lonesome death of something something. I, I yeah. forget the title of that one. But the uh, the Hal Holbrook Adrian Barbeau segment in Creep Show is probably my favorite, and it concerns a a henpecked college professor played by Hal Holbrook, who conspires to have his bitch drunk wife played by Adrian <laughs> Barbeau, um, killed by a monster that's sent to uh, the university in like a crate, from, like <laughs> the darkest jungles of Borneo or whatever. <laughs> That's so cool. That's like an Outer Limits episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, in this movie, uh, Adrian Barbeau plays the the 
the hottest woman in the town of Antonio Bay until, yeah. of course, hitchhiker Jamie Lee Curtis arrives. Mm-hmm. She is the sort of single mom and the voice of the night. Uh, who she is the uh, she's the owner and sole DJ of the local radio station KAB Antonio Bay, which operates out of a beautiful yeah. lighthouse on the Pacific coast. The coolest radio station in the world. It's literally the top of a lighthouse overlooking the sea. Like amazing, amazing digs, and she's playing what. What could be described as like elevator music, I guess. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah. She's on. She's on uh, for the witching hour every night. You know, for the uh, alcoholics, angry loners, the unemployables. She's staying up late at night. KAB Antonio Bay playing the jazziest elevator music. Keep me turned on, and I'll try to do the same for you. And. It's so funny, like, Tom Atkins is driving, listening to it, and I'm like, I would fall asleep so fast <laughs> if I was driving at night, like, listening to elevator music. Just You, you say that, Hessa, but Tom Atkins is, of course, driving, listening to Stevie Wayne, just just downing a beer to keep him up. Oh, Ooh, yeah, he's, he's... Soda to keep, keep his attention focused on the road. <laughs> he's got to stay, he's got to stay sharp. <laughs> yeah. Um... Uh, well, well, I, I want to get into the uh, like the further the, talk a, bit, a little bit more about like the the cast of Antonio Bay and like yes. the various sort of factions that are unite or like are in classic John Carpenter stat and classic John Carpenter uh, style. It's a movie about like like a small town or small group of people that are sort of put in put under pressure and have to kind of reform and and and, and deal with like uh, the the presence of like a kind of siege by an outside threat. In this case, seagulls, the, the ghosts of lepers who want their gold back. Yes. But, Hesse, you talked about um, at the opening credits of this movie, which take place as, like, the clock strikes midnight on, like, the, the 100th anniversary of Antonio Bay. And, we, like we said, as, well, as all that we see or seem but a dream within a dream, at the, as, at the witching hour, uh, like, the sort of the, the boundaries between the ghost and the real world in this town begin to sort of permeate and in the little the creaking of doors the shaking of bottles there's just like these little little indications that like the, 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 the town is being touched by an otherworldly presence and we get these these ghostly sort of encounters among people like there's a really there's a really good scene with a uh, clerk at a grocery store who's like mopping up late at night and then just drinks arts juice out of one of the bottles yes. <laughs> I really I like that scene but I, then like you know I really love like um, it's so tense, like because you're like this guy's definitely gonna get murdered. Every t- new cut, it's like oh, this is something is definitely about to go bad. Like there's one where a gas pump at a gas station like flies out of the handle and starts pouring gasoline everywhere, and you're like, okay, this gas station's gonna explode, but it doesn't. And like it's all these like very tension building like events that are just piling on top of each other as like the credits are still rolling it's like completely like nerve-wracking and like in this film the 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 literal physical fog is what sort of shrouds and contains the ghouls and sort of like uh spits them into our reality but you know even even untouched by fog the town is experiencing a lot of poltergeist style events like chairs being moved on their own car alarms going off dogs barking things like that but um the the point i want to make about like these this this scene of like very banal but also like unbearably tense and, and dreadful uh portents 
uh, I, I'm thinking about something. I, I watched this movie once again with uh, Chris and Catherine to prepare for today's episode. And uh, there's something Chris said about John Carpenter's style that I thought was very smart and on point and like really, I, I think, helps understand this movie. In this movie, as in all of Carpenter's movies, and this is also very similar to Howard Hawks, remember in our Rio Bravo episode, Carpenter has what can at times seem like a kind of, it seems like his films are sort of bereft of detail. You know, like there's something very, uh, um, General. very American, American generic yes. about like the settings and looks of his movies. Mm-hmm. And I think it's that, uh, as I described about Howard Hawks, that kind of economy of style and that, that the, the lack of detail that I think the the sort of the non-specific nature of the general Americana of it is what allows like when he introduces elements of terror, violence, and the otherworldly and the supernatural into that canvas. I think it, it sort of allows your mind to like it, it lets it seep deeper into your mind when you're like less focused on the kind of like the specific the hyper specifics of a time and place. Yes, I think like the best example of that is like Halloween where. Um it's it's like really impossible now to grasp how like the look and feel of Halloween is so like that and so generic partially like and it's partially been like exponentially amplified by the fact that every single slasher movie ever made from Halloween until now is just doing Halloween is like completely ripping off not only the like concept but like the style and the because like there were slasher movies before halloween like black christmas but the the style of halloween is so immaculate and it's so of its time and so 80s so quintessentially it's like the most 80s movie ever made in both look and feel and like everything and it's like that kind of blanket of vagueness and generality that gets like penetrated by like the sharp edge of things like um michael myers's mask being like a william shatner mask that's painted white is kind of like a a blade cutting through that and like yes uh, coming for you kind of it's really crazy it's like it's 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 the banal details of everyday america that become like uh inverted and become the sources of of real horror and pressure And, and like you know like like I said, they they become elements in these locked boxes that he creates that like that just ratchet the tension up even more. And you say Halloween is like the perfect eighties movie. It's that vague sense of like time and place. Halloween was made in nineteen seventy eight, but like you think back on it and it feels like the eighties. I'll say this about the setting of Halloween. Halloween is of course supposed to take place in Haddonfield, Illinois. Just this past week, I was walking down the very streets where Halloween was filmed and even like stood, walked out of the hedge, the famous hedge that Michael Myers appears behind. Mm -hmm. That is all of course in Pasadena, California, a (laughs) suburb of LA that is so perfect because palm trees aside, it looks like any town in America. It looks like the perfect American town, but it is basically just in the middle of Los Angeles. Yeah. Suburbia USA. So yeah, I did, I did pay tribute to the God of Halloween. The Halloween hedge. It's really funny. 
there is a divot in the lawn of whoever's house it, it currently belongs to. There is a divot in the lawn right at the edge of the hedge from how many people have restaged the moment in the movie of stepping out from behind <laughs> the hedge. That's so funny. That's like Carrie's apartment in from Sex and the City <laughs> yes. in New York. There's <laughs> yeah. like a rope roping it off and it's like, people live here, stop it. <laughs> like a sign that says that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, the, the Halloween hedge, also a little bit of movie magic, is also about two blocks away from Pee Wee's Fun Pee Wee's Playhouse, the house in which Pee Wee Herman's show is supposed to take place inside Ooh. of. So yeah, Pasadena is one of those towns that like so many movies are filmed there because it is such a good amalgamation of like anywhere USA. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like it, 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 it's that it's that specific Americanness and like the like I said, his how how indebted he is to Howard Hawks in the simplicity of his the way he frames shots, the way he edits them, and the way he doesn't like over. He doesn't lard up his movies with too much with any unnecessary shit, and I think that really is why he is the master. It's because there's not in any of his movies there's not a second wasted. There's not a single there's not a single cut that's that's um, uh, unnecessary. There's not a single time the music hits that's like you know he, he does not overuse anything. So that when he does use these effects that play really well for him, like his use of of, of, of an original score, and when he like cuts to create a like a a, a scare. It, it, there's nothing, there's no, there's no fat. So it really is effective every single time. Yeah. And like going back to what Theta was saying um, about uh, Mask of the Red Death, it's like all these characters are almost like archetypes kind of, you know, like the, the, the fisherman, yeah. the tramp, the DJ, the, <laughs> the child, the alcoholic the drunken priest, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the annoying lady, <laughs> the annoying city councilwoman. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I want to talk about these these archetypes, these Canterbury Tales style archetypes uh, that exist in the fog and in the town of Antonio Bay. But I want to get back to this idea of like that this is a purely American ghost story. And I, what I mean by that is like it seems like, like to me, like at least the British are really the the the, the culture that uh, kind of invented the modern ghost story with like I don't know whether it's like the turn of the screw or the work of M. R. James. It, the idea of ghosts and a haunted house is a very British thing that we inherited from them, and I think in in British fiction and and film, the haunted house and the ghost story is always about like. Obviously, the return of a, a repressed or traumatic memory that is playing itself out within the space in which that trauma occurred. Yeah. And for the British, it's usually like incest of some kind or the fact that the, the wife is like kept upstairs in an attic because she went insane or something yeah. like that. <laughs> But the point is that, like, when you inhabit the physical space in which a, a trauma has taken place, this, it's sort of like it stains the space itself, and you begin in your own mind to relive the events that, that gave rise to, like, the murder of a child or, yeah, like, some horrible taboo uh, has taken place and, and stained, like, the walls itself. And, like, then the, the people even uninvolved with that trauma begin, like, sort of, yeah, like I said, like a record skipping. yeah. And I think that works great for England because of all, you know, the, how haunted they are and all the dead people and fucking, you know, taboo-breaking incest and things like that. But in America, the haunted house, and this is why Poltergeist is like the other perfect American ghost story, is the idea is it's not the house. It's the whole fucking country. Yes. Everything in America is haunted. <laughs> there's, no, there's no way you can escape it. Like, it. like, it's the land itself is stained in some way. And the trauma is like for the town of Antonio Bay at a microcosm, is the founding of our country itself. Yes. It's like in 
in England, it's like uh, the psychic echoes of trauma get captured by the house and like bounce around in there. But in America, it's just like there's so much there's so many psychic echoes that it is like the background noise that the entire country exists upon that we just all try to tune out and ignore. Yeah. It's like, it's like radiation. It just yes. exists here. It's just, it is just, it, you, you know, the, the last ghost free land in America that's been bought up years ago, you yes. know? And, and since then it, it's become infested with ghosts. Yes. There's really, there's really no protection from ghosts in this country. And as those are talking about, America, I do have to talk about what I think is probably the greatest feature of The Fog, the most amazing part of this movie, is the Northern California Pacific Coast. Yes. And the way Carpenter films it, I think this is truly... I, I, I wanted to include this one in our in our sort of horror movie run for this Halloween as opposed to other... like Not as opposed to other John Carpenter movies, but why I wanted to choose this one is I truly think it's his most beautiful film. It's his, it's his movie that looks frame to frame like, you know, the most one perfect shot, if you want to think of it in those terms. But it's like, it is largely the, like the, the, the atmospheric quality and the stark, stark, powerful beauty of the Pacific Coast in Northern California is really what makes this movie. And it's the contrast between the beauty of it and the horror, like, under, underneath it, or, like, the, the, the myth behind the beauty of it. And I'm always struck by the Pacific Coast in California because, to me, it is the most striking landscape in America and the most gorgeous to look at. And it's sort of like... The most beautiful part of America is the very fucking end of it. Yes. <laughs> the yes. absolute limits of the American project and consciousness when it hits that Pacific coast and rolls back, it's sort of like the fog and the return of the seagulls is like you can only get so far away from America before, you know, the theft of leopard gold pulls you back in. Yes, pulls exactly. you back in. Um All right, let's let's talk about let's talk about the characters in this movie and some of the cast. Um they're sort of like like I mentioned, there's a, there's like three or four different factions that sort of uh, each for themselves, kind of piece by piece, figure out what's going on, what's happening in the town of Antonio Bay as as the ghost front moves in. Yeah. But let's begin with the, the the god of the episode, Tom Atkins and Jamie Lee Curtis. Yes. One of the most like one of the most imbalanced pairings of 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 people who hook <laughs> yes. up in a movie I've ever seen. He could be playing her dad in this. It's, yeah. it's really it's awesome. Um so Tom Atkins like rolls into town, picks up hitchhiking Jamie Lee Curtis, and they they say like five words to each other. She's like, "Are you weird?" and he's like, "Yeah." And she's like, "Thank God. I the last guy I hitchhiked with wasn't weird at all." She's like trying to get i forget where she's trying to get she's trying to get like um she's just trying to get away from where she's from in southern california it's just to go elsewhere yeah and and she's a rich girl who's run away from home Mm -hmm. and is having sex with fishermen who who could be her father yeah like next the literal very next scene is like them fucking (laughs) it's them they just finished having sex and they're smoking a joint in bed and it's it's incredible um but they, Tom Atkins is kind of the the hero, sort of of, or one of the heroes in, in of this movie. He basically goes around and is one of the first people to realize like something's up because his three fishermen friends are the first people to be killed by the ghouls, and he's like, you know, they discover their boat and it's everything's rusted. It seems like the boat's been underwater for a hundred years and. 
him and Jamie Lee Curtis, um, their arc kind of is like saving this this kid and all these other people from the horrors of the ghouls. Yeah, like you know, Tom Atkins, he's he's the working class Joe of this town. He's the yeah. he's the salt he's the salt of the earth of Antonio Bay. He's a you know he's a he's a fisherman. His dad was a fisherman, and you know like he just wants to drive his pickup truck, get drunk, pick up hitchhikers, and have sex with them, and not yeah. be not be you know a hassle by any of these by any of these freaking ghouls. And I don't know. Has said there's something that I, will always just be so charming to me about the hookup in this movie between Tom Atkins and Jamie Lee Curtis, because once again. Imagine your best friend in high school. Imagine if his dad started hooking up with Denise Richards in the <laughs> yes. 90s, you know? That's what it feels like. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis, and actually when I was reading about the production of this movie, uh, Carpenter wrote her character into the movie pretty late in the production because he wanted to just create a role for her because apparently he felt bad that her star turn in Halloween did not net her at that point many follow-up roles from Hollywood. So he just sort of like put, it was the second movie she did basically. And he just put her in there because he was like, hey, it's, it's Jamie Lee. She's my muse. Gotta She's have her. Girl. Yeah. That was nice of him. And Jamie Lee Curtis, of course, gorgeous as always, like one of Absolutely. the hottest women of all time. Like for me growing up, it was A Fish Called Wanda and uh, True Lies, basically. Uh, that's how I learned about sex was from those two movies. Yeah, True and Lies is like Jamie the hottest. Lee Curtis, so thank like, you. One of the hottest any woman has ever looked in a movie, truly. In, and in every no, movie she's slower, in. More sexy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, the, the inclusion of Jamie Lee Curtis in this movie is doubly interesting because of the casting of another character in this movie. As we move on to like one of the other, you know, the wife of Bath type figures in the town of Antonio Bay. Uh, annoying. Is she the mayor or a city councilwoman? I, I never remember in this movie. I she's think a she's... local town muckety-muck, a big wig. Yeah, I think she's a city councilwoman. And she's planning the, the town's Jebediah Springfield <laughs> parade. <laughs> yes, that, and, yes. Um, Basically, they're like, uh, you know, preparing for this big parade. She has this statue that sucks. <laughs> she keeps talking about the amazing statue. Um, and when we see the statue, it's really funny because they can cover it with like a, a pillowcase, <laughs> basically. Um, and yeah, they're having like there, there are towns that have like a sundial next to a gazebo that's like more high class than this bullshit <laughs> yes. that they're coming out with in Antonio Bay for their centennial celebration. Like you could put the statue on a mantelpiece, but it's on like a, a concrete like uh, dais. Like obelisk kind of, of yeah, some kind. Yeah. yeah. And she's basically they're planning this big centennial or, you know, this big. Yeah. Anniversary centennial. um like party that they're gonna do to unveil the statue and yeah she has her much put upon assistant character also played by nancy loomis who was also one of jamie lee curtis's slut friends in halloween yeah she was the cool one that smokes weed she was like the kind of girl that like if i li if i lived in haddonfield slash pasadena california i'd be like damn i'd want to i want her to be my girlfriend yes exactly and um but the city councilwoman is played by janet lee Janet Lee, yes. who, you know, if you have movie mindset, you will have already keyed in on why Janet Lee being in a movie with Jamie Lee Curtis is fun and cool mm -hmm. because it is a mother and daughter on screen together. And they did not have a single scene together yes, in this movie. Not, they never meet each other. 
<laughs> and I like to think that's because, like, in some in some sense, reality and fiction, as is you know, is all that we see and seem, but just movies within movies, yes, is the answer to that. I like to think that it is reality, inter- you know, sort of interceding on fiction because she just doesn't want to have anything to do with her daughter, her real life daughter, who in this movie is fucking fishermen who are like thirty years older than her. Yes. <laughs> What is and, and what does Tony what does Tony think of all of this? That's what I want to know. Yeah, exactly. What is Tony? Where think? was Tony? Where's Tony? And um, he's having sex with some guy somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like Jamie Lee Curtis ran away from Antonio Bay, and because this the world of this movie is like a a Flintstone style loop, she is just hitchhiking back into Act- Antonio Bay over and over again. <laughs> um, just like in In the Mouth of Madness, yes. they try to leave uh, the town of, uh, what is it? Oh, God. Uh, I forget Cutter's the name End of the town. or something? Yes, yeah, something like that. Yeah. Hobbs End. Hobbs, Hobbs End. End. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I guess, like, uh, the, then there is Stevie Wayne, played by Adrian Barbeau, the radio DJ, that all I can think of, every scene with Adrian Barbeau in this movie and her beautiful lighthouse radio station just makes me think of the song, I want to marry a lighthouse keeper. And blah, blah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I want to marry a lighthouse keeper. I want to marry Stevie Wayne, as do all of the men in the town of Antonio Bay. It is her and her son, who is one of the, one of the boys listening, you know, wide-eyed to the story at the beginning of the movie. Yes. And uh, their babysitter, um, the, the ill-fated Mrs. Kobritz. Yes, poor Mrs. Kobritz. <laughs> I, I will say... Um, Another fun thing about this movie for, you know, Carpenter Heads is that all of the characters in this movie are named after people that John Carpenter worked with on previous projects. So, like, for instance, the the horny weatherman who is, like, trying to hit on Stevie Wayne, the name of his character is Dan O'Bannon. The famous (laughs) screenwriter who did Alien and uh, Carpenter's first movie, Dark Dark Star. Star. Which is also fantastic. It was so good. Yeah, great movie. Um, uh, I, I, I think um, uh, Atkins' character in this movie is named Nick Castle, who is the actor who plays Michael Myers in Halloween. Uh, Tommy Wallace is the name of another character who is the editor and sound designer on this movie and will be the director of Halloween 3. But, you know, Car- Car- Carpenter's having a little fun, fun with the characters in this movie. Like, when I was looking at IMDb, like, for, like, just trying to get, like, a sense of the cast of this movie, I kept thinking, Dan O'Bannon's in this movie? <laughs> but no, char- it's, it's, it's not Dan O'Bannon. It's just merely Charles Cyphers playing Dan O'Bannon. Yes. <laughs> you know they had um, a laugh over a beer about that, him and, him and the boys. <laughs> <laughs> Also, and, and the the last uh, the last group of people who endure the the the, the ghoul assault on Ghoul Sink Thirteen is the drunken local priest Father Malone, played by the great Hal Holbrook. But his like the one other guy that we get in the church is of course the man himself, John mm-hmm. Carpenter, in his what, the small cameo at the very beginning of this movie. Hesso, what is John Carpenter's line in this movie to his, the drunken priest, Hal Holbrook? His, like, one line is, uh, hey, when am I going to get paid? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. John Carpenter, in the very beginning of this movie, plays, like, the, the church handyman who's just there to do, like, little fix, fixer-uppers for the, 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 you know, a priest who's, like, seven scotches deep. Yes. <laughs> and then, like, he's getting ready to go home for the day, and he's just Hal Holbrook, who's, like, you know, like, already slurring his words. He's like, uh, Father, when can I get paid? And then Hal Holbrook's like, uh, my son, why don't why don't you come in at four and I'll make it six tomorrow. That's yeah. what I'll need you. And then he just sort of like shrugs and he just cuts sort of his like, hours. <laughs> <instead> <laughs> yeah, of all right. 
<laughs> but I love Carpenter's uh, rare speaking role in yes. this movie, saying, Father, can I get paid? Which really, uh, to me, sums up his whole career. And it's all so... these people... All these people asking, when is Carpenter going to do another movie? Yeah. All to them, I got to say, <laughs> when can Father get paid? Can That's I, what Father, I... when can I get paid? <laughs> it's so funny because, like, also he looks like, I was like, is that John Carpenter? Because he, he has such a distinct look. Yes. He looks like a roadie for, <laughs> like, Metallica or something. Yes. <laughs> a roadie for Led Zeppelin. No, he's, yeah, he doesn't have the white hair in this movie. Yeah. So it's a little bit, a little bit you, may, you may have to look twice. But, yeah, that you will see John Carpenter in the very... Very like the first two minutes of this movie. Um, so yeah, like the, these are the factions that sort of like through the radio and through circumstance like begin to to try to like figure out. You know, Father Malone finds uh, his grandfather's diary yes. in the wall of the church as sort of one of the spooky events in the opening credits. Sort of dislodges a brick, spits it out, and reveals the secret diary of his grandfather, the priest, who conspired with like the kind of town fathers to intentionally wreck a ship full of lepers and steal their gold to, rather yes. than allow them to form a leper colony a mile uh, just sort of outside of town. Yes. So that's like the the original sin of Antonio Bay. Hal Holbrook is so funny in this movie. <laughs> yes, he's incredible. <laughs> he is so funny in this movie. And, you know, like every American town that's done uh, something horrible in its past, you've got to have a drunken priest and, and, and a church built with the money that you, that you fleeced from lepers. Yeah, literally in the wall. It's in the walls of the church, quite literally, <laughs> which is a very funny yeah. um, twist to the, you know, a very funny and uh, loaded twist to... You know all those accounts that are like trad architecture accounts that will just show photos of like Montpelier or like I don't know some town in Vermont and be like, why can't American towns look like this anymore? Yes. Well, we've run out of le- we've run out of lepers to kill. Okay. <laughs> yes. There's no more leper guys with a boat full of lepers and gold <laughs> that we can melt down. It's just not economically feasible anymore to build beautiful old churches without some sort of, you know, uh, leper fleecing. We need some leper done. imports. We need to up the leper imports <laughs> to America. Um, uh, in, Civ, so in like, Civ 6, it's really OP if you farm lepers <laughs> when they start <laughs> voting in. It's really a really easy way to get gold early on. I think they're patching it. <laughs> Antonio Bay got in before the patch, uh, the leper patch, (laughs) for American civilization uh, made that impossible to do. But yeah, the lesson of the movie is yeah, like if you want to have a beautiful American town, you're going to need some evil in the past. Yeah, but but eventually the bill is going to come due, and this movie is about the bill coming due as like literally as the fog rolls into this community and brings with it the 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 apparitions the 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 physical manifestations of these dead lepers who like in this movie are sort of like uh, i don't know like rag covered figures they're supposed to be like you know at the bottom of the ocean the the sea has like disgorged its dead and they hack away at their victims with like fish hooks cleavers and like like a like an old like uh, military saber. It's like sort of they're very old timey. They have the the, yes. the, the the ship that they that that was sunk. The Elizabeth Dane is sort of spat out by the ocean and sort of arrives in this kind of uh, in this encased in this fog yes. as they seek like uh, like six for six. They they're trying to get like six six bodies 
to, to fill in for a century later the six conspirators that sunk their that sunk the Elizabeth Dane and stole their leper crypto. Yes, and their I, leper coins. This is the the second um, hook kill that we've seen behind uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and or I guess the second through like fourth or f- like fifth or sixth, I guess because many of them are done. Many of the kills are done with hooks, but. Um, the, it won't be the last hook. It will not be the last hook, yes. hook related kill on this run of movie mindset. But as long as we're talking about the kills, why don't we talk about some of these signature kills in the fog? Hessa, yes. do, you, do you have one that you, that's on your mind? I mean, my favorite is the first one because of just like how how spooky it is and these guys just hanging out, chilling, um, and you know, goofing off in their boat. It seems like they just went out to the sea just so they could like drink beer without their their bitch wives <laughs> bothering them without <laughs> literally without Janet Lee bothering them because she's the wife of yeah. one of them um but yeah these guys just go out in the sea and then they I really love that kill because you get to see the Elizabeth Dane in the fog like or part of it and it's these these fishermen are like they can't believe their eyes because in this glowing white fog they see like this old ghost ship and then you get your first sight of the sea ghouls who are like you know not only the ghosts really of the um not only really the ghosts of the the lepers but like the the spirit of the sea itself coming to kind of claim revenge on these and it's the irony should not be lost that um it's kind of like these ghosts of the sea killing fishermen with hooks which is what they use to catch and kill fish basically um and yeah they they just got you know uh from you know gooch to gullet they just kind of rip these guys apart yeah the the three fishermen on the the seagrass which are the, the the tom atkins friends that begin his investigation of of the ghoul situation um yeah like th- that that scene is fantastic because like you know, like they're they're looking out the window of the boat, and like Stevie Wayne is telling them on the radio about a fog bank that's headed towards them, and like they're all like, oh, "There ain't no fog out there." This guy's like <laughs> looking out the window, and it's very quiet, and he goes, "There ain't no fog bank out there," and then he goes, "Shh, wait, there's a fog bank out there." <laughs> yes, <laughs> and it rolls in, and you can see their breath. It makes everything cold, and they see this like this ghost ship, this huge clipper ship, pass by their like I don't know like thirty foot uh, you know fishing vessel. And they're like they're out on the deck, and they're like, "There's someone out there." And then you see these ethereal figures just sort of um, come out of the fog on the deck. And as they're looking at them, then this guy like it's very quiet. And then you see this guy shot from below, and then just a sword goes straight through his chest. Yeah, you hear him go <gasps> like you see them that like the life just sort of just be snatched out of his lungs. Yeah, that's then, like, like a signature move too of the sea ghouls is that they'll you'll be looking at them and then one will appear behind you and and just murk you. And then like uh, the third guy on the seagrass, who's like uh, didn't go out on deck to be uh, hooked or stabbed, he's just like trying to like talk on the radio and he's like, "Hey guys, like where are you?" Or whatever. Ghoul walks in, turns around, and then he uses like I don't know, a, like a cleat of some kind. I think is what it is, like a cleat, and he just shoves it in both of his eyes. It's just one, two. Gouges yes. out this guy's eyes, 
And then we get, I think, like, it's, it's not a kill, but, like, the best scare in the movie comes later when Jamie Lee Curtis and Tom Atkins have discovered the seagrass. Like, you know, uh, like, no, nobody's on board it. They can't, they can't find any bodies, but it's just an empty ship. And there's a great moment with a locker that yes. I think really sums up, like, how, how so much of horror of, of an effective scare is sort of showing you and telling you, the audience, this is exactly what's going to happen. And you, you fi- it sort of fixates your attention on the thing that you know is coming and then completely subverts that by um, showing you the thing you know is coming but then being like, aha, it actually wasn't the thing that you were supposed to be afraid of. And in this scene, it's uh, Atkins and Jamie Lee Curtis are on this boat and like a sort of a, a locker has been knocked over. Yes. And Tom Atkins begins telling Jamie Lee Curtis this spooky story of his dad and his career as a fisherman, in which like they discovered some ghost ship and it had like a, a Spanish doubloon on it. And when he took it home, it like turned into sand or something, you know, something something spooky like that. Yeah. And then the whole time you're looking more and more at this locker that's right in between the two of them. It's like leaning then, like, the, up against the wall, yeah. kind of like it's it could fall open at any moment and a body will fall out is what it's really drawing your attention to it in that kind of so you could think that and like and then you begin to see the catch on the locker begin to shake or sort of jostle itself open and you're just waiting like something is going to come out of that locker and then it, it delays it for so long and then of course the locker door slams open and a bunch of stuff falls out of it on jamie lee curtis and she goes ah and she's spooked but in her being spooked and her like, you know, uh, or like the, the jerk of her body, she dislodges the eyeless corpse of the last guy on the boat that just yeah. falls out over her eyes. Just huge divots where his fucking yes. uh, eyes used to be. Just the black, hollow, gaping caves of his skull. And that is the true scare. Yes. Yes. Complete one two punch, like misdirection from from the goat. It's so good. And then, of course, uh, there's the other scare in the uh, in the morgue where the one with the eyeless body comes back to life to carve three onto the floor. And they just leave Jamie Lee Curtis alone again. And again, she is supposed to be just in transit. But yes. she's like hooked up with a fisherman and chosen instead to like spend the day with him discovering his dead, drowned friends. <laughs> yes. And then at the morgue with him again, she's like, uh, maybe I should just uh, move on here. Yes, she's like, oh, I might get out of town. <laughs> and another little bit, another little, uh, a little addition to the Carpenter verse in this movie that I love is that the coroner is played by uh, Darwin Jostin, who was who played n- the great Napoleon Wilson in Assault on Precinct Thirteen. Which every time I watch it, just like I has to like grow higher in my esteem of like, could this be Carpenter's best movie? I mean. You know, there there are so many that can be begin in that conversation. But for me, yes. Assault on Precinct Thirteen is such a perfect movie, and I love the character of Napoleon Wilson so much. I just think he's like the most badass guy yeah, ever. Proto movie. like snake, proto snake Pliskin. Yeah, yeah. I love I love Darwin, and uh, it, it's good to see him in another Carpenter movie because you know yes. he's like one of those guys. That, like I wish I could see him, and I wish he was in more stuff. Um and. Um, the next a kill that I also love is the kill of Dan O'Bannon, the horny weatherman. Yes. Who is um, Stevie Wayne calls calls Dan O'Bannon and is like, 
hey, over at the weather station, do you have any fog? And he's like, yep, rolling in right now. This fog is covering up my place. It's totally fine. Coming it's right reaching in. underneath the door. Yeah, he's like, she's like, hey, get get out of there. Can you please get out of there? And he's like, hang on, someone's knocking at the door. And then he opens the door. There's like a wall of glowing fog there. And he's like, oh. <laughs> Just some kids playing a practical joke. And she's like, get out of there. Please get out of there right now. And he's like, huh, don't worry. It's just some kids playing a joke. <laughs> <laughs> I also like right before that where Stevie is like desperately trying to communicate to him. that There there are lights in the fog. It's not normal fog. You'll have to get out of there. <laughs> he thinks that like he's like, oh, I get what's going on. You're having a bit of stimulant induced madness, right? Ever take a couple <laughs> pills to stay up on air? I see. I know. <laughs> It's so like good. while he's yeah while he's trying to get in her pants you know yeah. he's just like yeah I know what it's like working late nights at the weather station or having to talk all day on the radio yeah you just, sometimes yeah. we'll need a couple a couple of those red devils to keep you up yeah <laughs> and yeah your yeah your field of vision begins to see lights in the 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 fog outside your lighthouse it yes. happens. Um, um, and I guess we should talk about the fog itself, which is really like the star of this movie. Like the, yes. the fog effects are so fucking, it's so simple and so cool. Like when you see like these like cascading pillars of smoke just kind of like reach out to you down the, down the, the sort of the, the lit streets of this town at night. Yes. It's in like, they do this like crazy, like, I don't know if it's like fast motion and reversing it or something but the fog kind of just billows out and like really has it can it sometimes has this like definition to it that is really fantastic like when it's filling the streets outside or it can be just completely like very thin and mostly relegated to like floating along the ground it really has like a bunch of different modes of making scenes look really beautiful my one of my favorites is like when some people are in a house that is being assailed by the the evil fog the windows go from being like pitch black outside to just pure snow white like glowing white out of outside every window which is just such a scary prospect to me of like you know it's supposed to be nighttime but it's just completely illuminated it's so it's it's like such a good effect he makes such good use of the fog and you know, like in, in in one sense, this is an evil fog. But I think like this movie is sort of stands apart from a lot of John Carpenter's other movies, which feature people under siege from some horrible, implacable outside force. Be it like the street gangs in, in Assault on Precinct Thirteen, uh, the the liquid goo Antichrist of Prince of Darkness, or the um, you know the the biological entity in the thing. Whereas in this movie, it, it, it's very much the same format. But I really think that there's a real sympathy. There's sympathy for the ghoul in this movie because, like, are they really the bad guys? Like, don't yeah. like, isn't there something like deeply tragic about uh, like the the monsters in this movie? Yeah, the good guy of the movie, the the real actual good guy of the movie, was killed 100 years ago when he was trying to <laughs> yeah. build a leper colony. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and he is kind of returned and is like he. It really his his asks are pretty reasonable you know he just wants to kill six like people only six people <laughs> yes hundreds died on that fucking <laughs> ship literally hundreds and it's it's really not that much to ask um and you know there's a, a little fake out at the end where um he you know finds 
where they they find this cross made of gold in the walls of the church because they read the rest of the diary and realize that you know um the priest felt so bad about stealing the gold that he told all the other like um father all the other fathers of the town like oh there was no gold it, it was lost at sea and then he like hid it in a golden cross in kind of in the he church he melted it all down to make the world's largest cross yes yes which must and then weigh 100,000 pounds yes <laughs> <laughs> the scene the scene of Hal Holbrook carrying the golden cross out to Blake and his ghouls being like Blake I've got I've got your gold here you, I like you can even see in the performance Hal Holbrook like struggling to carry yes. this probably weighs 10,000 pounds <laughs> It's literally, it looks like a challenge from like one of those world's strongest man competitions. Yeah, <laughs> Kelvin Gemstone. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and um, he, it's also funny because like the, like um, Janet Lee's like reaction to the cross is she's, um, it's kind of like, damn, we could have built a good statue if we had this shit. <laughs> <laughs> It has a like. Uh, there's a scene towards the end of the movie where it's like after they've had their little. Janet Lee knows her husband is dead. She's beginning to be aware of the horrible ghoul curse that is uh, plaguing this town. But it's like the end of their little centennial, centennial celebration, and she's like, "Now, everyone, there's still time to look at the statue. Just file out, single file. Take your time. You can still see the ta- <laughs> the statue." And everyone's just so bored. And another thing I really love about this movie is that it's really only about seven or eight people in Antonio Bay that's aware of anything as it's happening. Yeah. Everyone else in this town is totally oblivious to like to, to, to the ghoul assault. Well, they well, we don't know that actually because Stevie Wayne is screaming on the radio that's the true. whole time about how <laughs> the fog is so evil and it's like it's must be terrifying for anyone at home, but they they might just think it's like you know Orson Welles like War of the Worlds <laughs> style like uh, they probably just are like uh, I wish you pl- I wish you go back to playing some Muzak I don't like when she gets <laughs> yeah, all political I hate like, when she gets political like this hate <laughs> when she gets political about about the fog she probably, like, then they're just like she's like I cannot stress this enough if you were near the fog get out of it you have to get out of the town the fog will kill you and they're just like man I saw her in the supermarket once she's a real she dish. She was a dime, dude. Um, I saw her in the supermarket. She asked, the, she got a bunch of Snickers bar and asked the guy to scan them individually because of electrical <laughs> inveterance. Um, the um, there, it's funny to imagine that there's another gas, uh, not a gas station, another radio station in town where it's like a right wing D, like DJ, and he's like. Three three fishermen were found dead, and um, it is confirmed that they were vaxxed. So please. <laughs> Yeah, it's, the, 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 but Antonio Bay's right-wing talk radio station, uh, Fog on Loan from God, you're listening, uh, we're taking your calls about the fog right now. <laughs> like, I think Harp is probably responsible for the fog, and then they're using it to trigger the vaccine. I think that's probably pretty reasonable. I think that makes sense to me. <laughs> I think it's time to send these uh, these Dumbocrats <laughs> back, to, back yeah. to the ocean where they belong. <laughs> We've got to build a wall along the Pacific coast to stop the fog. Uh, of course, we got to keep the lepers out. You know, I mean. <laughs> okay, now I'm imagining that there are four wind power off the coast of California, but only to blow the fog banks away yes. from the town <laughs> and keep. Just hey, we're we're never paying back that gold. Okay, yeah, money's been gone. It's been spent. Sorry, we just don't have it in our budget to keep everyone safe from fog ghoul attacks. Yes. Um. 
yeah, I think I think that does it for uh, the fog. I guess like I'd just like to leave it with Hessa what you said, an American ghost story because the, the only ghosts in America are the good people that we killed a century ago. <laughs> yes, we're, we're like we're the bad guys, and like the ghosts attempting to haunt us are like they're the good guys in this movie. Yes, literally. But yeah, like this is just perfect, perfect early Carpenter. Like I said, just perfect economy of style. Normal people under extraordinary pressure. Just losing it and having that John Carpenter soundtrack just ramp up. Yeah, like your arms are coming through a window trying to pull you out. Fog is fucking rolling into town. Yes, it's you're on top of the lighthouse. Climbing yeah, you're on top up of the it. lighthouse, kicking as some as a, a fish hook snaps at you. Yeah, and you just got that beautiful Carpenter score, just ding 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 ding, just hitting you in the head. And oh, I uh, there's one more thing I want to talk about, which is the the speech Stevie Wayne gives at the very end, where she's like on the radio and she's like. If what we if what we just experienced isn't a dream, then it could happen again. And it's like this amazing, like almost yes. like nineteen fifties horror movie, like you know, framing device kind of speech that really brings it to full circle from the Poe quote at the beginning, and it's amazing. It's exactly like the end of the original Howard Hawks, the thing from the thing from another world, where the guy gets on the radio at the end and he's just like, "The events I've described are real. Like, watch the skies, watch the skies." It's the same. Yes. It's like Stevie is uh, is doing doing a, doing a little PSA, yeah, doing a little PSA. But once again, getting a little a little more political than I'd like a yes. uh, Muzak radio DJ to, you know, just play the hits, lady. Yeah. Where's Bert play, 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 <laughs> Yeah. Play royalty-free big band music number seven. <laughs> yeah. All right. We will take a break, and we'll be back with the truly extraordinary Halloween 3 season of The Witch. Yes. You don't really know much about Halloween. Halloween. The barriers will be down between the real and the unreal. And the dead might be looking in. The last great one took place 3,000 years ago when the hills ran red. Halloween, You happen to know anything about this Cochran? All I can tell you, mister, is watch out. Season He's watching you, friend, I guarantee you that. Trick or treat, trick or treat. Hey, Mr. Cochran, just what is the final process? Fellas, I was just kidding. Witchcraft. To us, it was a way of controlling our environment. Hey! Where are they taking her? They're taking her to the factory. I want a mask. Can I have a mask? Uh, just what I had in mind for you, little buddy. Why, Cochran? Why? Do I need a reason? I've got nothing here to indicate there was ever a body at all. Operator, this is an emergency. I do love a good joke, and this is the best ever. A joke on the children. I'm glad you'll be able to watch it. You've got to believe me. They're going to kill us. All of us. Stop it! The world's going to change tonight, Doctor. Happy Halloween. Stop it! Halloween 3, season of the witch, the night no one comes home. Okay. 
We are back and moving on from uh, The Fog, directed by John Carpenter, to Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, a movie merely produced by John Carpenter, but directed by the aforementioned Tommy Lee Wallace, who was um, worked on The Fog and several other John Carpenter movies, and featuring the same director of photography, Dean Cundey. So Halloween 3 has this sort of the, the, the semi-look or sheen of a John Carpenter movie, but uh, it is a departure in a number of uh, interesting ways. Like, for instance, the movie we just discussed, The Fog, is the textbook definition of, like, an atmospheric ghost story. Yes. Where it's, it, it's, it's hard to describe the plot. It's really just, like, you have to drink in the scenery of the Northern California coast and just, like, the feel of spookiness that that movie um, inculcates in the viewer. Literally and figuratively an atmospheric ghost story. Yeah. Whereas Halloween 3 is another movie that deals very much with stories and myth, and it's a movie about the sort of um, the introduction and the danger of introducing the folklores of the old world into a modern American context. But this is a horror movie that is entirely plot driven yes and the de- the details of the plot of halloween 3 are so extraordinary that like it will it will seem like a joke describing them but it, i think that's truly what makes halloween 3 my favorite of the halloween series and i'll explain that by saying look i think john carpenter's original halloween as you mentioned tessa is one of those movies that's so good it breaks the entire entire genres of movies it's like an movie. you can't do yeah it's like so influential in its style that like there, it's impossible to do a slasher movie that is not in some way copying Halloween. I think Halloween, it's a masterpiece. It is a better movie than Halloween 3 Season of the Witch, but I've chosen Halloween 3 Season of the Witch for Movie Mindset because it is it, infinitely more gruesome and hilarious than Halloween, the original. Yes, it's so funny. <laughs> it's like, it's so amazing. And... Also, like, if you, like, a lot of people haven't seen this one because it kind of has a reputation of not being good, which is baffling to me because it's so amazing. <laughs> it's so good. It only has that reputation because Halloween 2 exists. Yes. And, like, I feel like Halloween 3 is so good, it makes me wish Halloween 2 doesn't exist because, like, Halloween 2 is... I think, like, a good sequel. I like it, but it, I mean, it's not as good as the original Halloween. But the problem with it is that it just introduced the expectation that a Halloween movie had to have Michael Myers in it. Yes. And I think Halloween 3 was the original. It was going to be, like, the test case for what Carpenter originally wanted to do with Halloween, which was have it be, as I think it always should have been, an anthology series in which every new entry in the movie is a discrete story, a discrete horror story centered around the holiday of Halloween. Yeah, and I think that would have been a lot. I want to know that alternate universe. I want to see what Halloweens we get. You know, maybe Halloween 7 is, like, really crazy. It takes place in, you know, space or something. <laughs> it might be fun. Well, as long as trick-or-treating is involved. Yes, absolutely. You can, you can do almost anything. Like, that's the only... Or even, I mean, I don't know, like, having the same director of photography. Dean Cundy did all of them. Then there could be a sort of, uh, you know, a, like a... A holistic style that you could at least bank on. Yes. But, yeah, listener, do not let the absence of Michael Myers scare you away from this movie. Because what we lack in Michael Myers is made up for in something even more terrifying. Yes. The Irish. The Irish. (laughs) The Irish, folks. It's really incredible. Um, 
and I it's so funny slowly realizing like oh my yep. god this really they really are the that really is the villain it's an irish a trickster <laughs> an irish trickster yep. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> uh yeah we got to got to build that wall we got to build, build that wall that we got to keep <laughs> we got to keep the irish and their folklore and their ancient child sacrifice practices out of america we got to build a Hadri- we got to build hadrian's wall <laughs> 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 got to rebuild that shit <laughs> we gotta rebuild that shit. Uh, so, uh, like, like I said, like all, all of this sounds funny, but like it will be like the reveal of how the plot develops in this movie is truly extraordinary. But uh, first, I gotta begin with the unbelievably cool opening credits to this yes, movie. Yes, they're so sick. Like, uh, first of all, absolutely no epilepsy warning. That's the, actually the scariest part about this movie. Is yes. that if you have a condition <laughs> in which strobing flashing lights may cause some problems for your brain, then uh, consider this Within your epilepsy th- warning before turning on this movie. Yes. Within, like, after you see like the, the, studio, uh, the studio card, then it's just immediately completely assaulting with strobing flashing lights. Like scan line like style and like the music is overlaid by like the sounds of the like scan lines going through it's so cool and and it's like that that kind of like really like really old school like 8-bit computer graphics yeah commodore like line is sort of rendering kind of. itself yeah yeah and and you're seeing like these like you know sort of digital lines of color assemble themselves and like flash at you as the credits play and then like when it finally says directed by you see like it's an entire like computer generated 8-bit graphic of a jack-o-lantern which yes. is so cool and the jack-o-lantern is of course a, you know a very powerful symbol and an image in this movie as yes, it goes on absolutely so the movie the movie opens it just says, tells you Northern California. Once again, we're, we're back in Northern California. It is October, Saturday the 23rd. You know what I and realized? See, it's not- is the, the opening of this, it has the same like beginning and ending bookends as um, Don Siegel's Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yes. That was the next line in my note. Yeah, so <laughs> yes. It is exactly, it is exactly <laughs> like the beginning and end of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. It is a man running frantically through the Northern California <laughs> night pursued by some unseen uh, assailants yes. who is screaming desperately, they're coming to kill us! They're coming to kill us all! And we're just like, what's this guy talking about? Yeah, but in this case... He is pursued by what appear to be Mormons. Yes, Mormon he, CIA, he's, Mormon <laughs> FBI agents. This is after the yeah, Mor- yeah Mormon FBI, FBI agents, <laughs> who are chasing this deranged man, um, uh, who has a Halloween mask with him, and like he runs into a gas station, and like to to get help, and uh, he he gets away from one. Of the, he crushes one of the Mormons in between two cars earlier in this movie. Like he's like being strangled by him. And uh, he like pulls the um, sort of stop. For, they're at a gas station. He pulls like the stop from like a car. This and it's like a wedge underneath the uh, yes. the front tires. And he pulls that out, and like the car moves forward and crushes this guy who doesn't seem to react at all. Strangely odd. But, yes. you know you, you know what you know what Mormon FBI agents are like. They're, yeah, they're, yeah, they're, yeah, got yeah. Very buttoned up. <laughs> they're very so, robotic. Uh, so like yeah, we we see this uh, gas station. Uh, and, and and we get we get a great like little interjection to the television, which is another very important part about this movie. Yes, this movie, this movie is about the evil of the Irish, but it's also about the evil of television and advertising in particular. Yes, absolutely. So we get to see uh, a news report 
a hilarious TV news report about the theft of a pillar of Stonehenge, which is just <laughs> yes. such a funny concept. <laughs> yes. Literally, they did the Ocean's 13, like, yeah. <laughs> Al Pacino's casino. Now, yeah. A pillar out of Stonehenge. D- David now Holmes, a- like, trip-hop playing as Stonehenge <laughs> flies away. <laughs> As a, now, if you were stealing a pillar of Stonehenge, would you take one of the pillars that's uh, sticking up vertically out of the ground, or would you try to take the one that was horizontally propped on top of the two other pillars? Oh, you got to take the one that's horizontally on top. And yeah, I think it, that'd it, be easier. Uh, so yeah, so, uh, so, so they they done they they nicked Stonehenge, isn't it? So yeah, that, that's what's on the <laughs> that's what's on the news. And then we get, of course. A the the horrific dirge, which will be repeated over and over again in this movie. Oh my god! The commercial for silver shamrocks. Now, listener, let me tell you: if you have not seen this movie and you and you watch it, probably the most terrifying thing will be this song stuck in your head it will, for approximately a week. Yes, it will not leave your head. It is so. It's such an earworm, and they really do nail like those. You know, I used to love watching, like, compilations of scary old commercials, you know, scary, like, haunted Kleenex commercial, like, you know, uh, on YouTube. And this really nails it because it's like, damn, no wonder kids of this generation are so fucked up. They had to watch. This is what commercials were like to them, and they loved them. (laughs) It's like. Eight more days till Halloween, Halloween, Halloween. Silver shamrocks. I mean, to me, has a, to me, like this movie is very prophetic in a number of ways. But like the the conception of this movie that advertising will literally rot your brain and turn it into bugs. Yeah. I think of this movie every time I hear that whopper, 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 whopper. (laughs) Whenever I hear that jingle on TV, I think of silver shamrocks because BK is doing to my brain what Connell Cochran is doing to the children of the world in this film. No, if you watch that whopper commercial with a Burger King crown on your head, it... (laughs) (laughs) It turns your brain into into charbroiled hamburger (laughs) meat. literally. (laughs) Real flames. They use real flames. <laughs> yes. So, uh, so like the the, the madman who has escaped the uh, the FBI Mormons. Uh, so like the, the, this year's hottest Halloween masks. All the kids got to have them. So he runs away to this gas station and he just says, "They're coming, they're coming," and then collapses. Yes. And he is brought to a hospital. And he's gripping where, a Halloween mask. Yeah. Yeah. And he is brought to the local hospital where. The hero of the movie, enter Tom Atkins. Now, has a, he, he's like, I guess he's kind of the lead in the fog. He's like, he's not really a lead, though. There isn't really any yeah. lead character in the fog. Atkins is almost always a supporting character in movies or like, you know, some, some playing someone's dad, like in Lethal Weapon or, yes. or Creep Show or Monster Squad. Halloween 3 truly is the Tom Atkins movie. Like there's yes. no movie that he's ever done that was ever more generous with his screen time and with him as a leading man. Yes. As a, every time I watch this movie, I am so taken with how funny Tom Atkins is in this movie and how funny his, how just like his presence and how little it makes sense in yes. every respect of this movie has a, every time I watch this movie, I laugh harder and harder and harder at 
this movie asking us to believe that Tom Atkins is a doctor. It's so funny because, like, the first time you're watching this movie, it's like, did this guy steal a lab coat? (laughs) 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 This must be an assassin coming to kill this guy who stole a lab coat. But he's like, it's so, it's, the lab coat looks so crazy on him. and so like yeah like you just, the first time you see him he's in he's in a white lab coat he doesn't seem to have any identification on his shirt is like unbuttoned you can see his like he's wearing like a he's wearing a white thermal like long sleeve shirt yes. that like a fucking lumberjack would wear underneath <laughs> a flannel shirt and I swear to God as a doctor you can even see he has like a carton of Marlboros in his breast pocket yes, it's so cool it's so cool it's like, yeah he looks like, like he just got in a car Ford accident sneaking yeah. into the hospital in uh the fugitive, the fugitive yeah <laughs> it's like you you were just in a car wreck in this town in northern california and you're like shit dog my doctor looks like this i'm never walking again <laughs> and, and it's not just that he is like the most hilariously blue collar looking doctor ever portrayed in a film he is also like the number one coxman of Northern he's California, like, he's on fucked every so, nurse. He, one of the, also one of the absolutely the funniest things in this movie is the repeated invocation of his bitch wife. Yes, who is mostly in the movie, played by Nancy Loomis, by the way. Yes, um, the, the, you see her once or twice, but he interacts with her so many times in this movie, and she pretty much only appears in the movie as a voice, a disembodied voice on the other end of a, a telephone, going. Rah, 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 rah. Yeah, as he's telling her, like, no, I can't take care of the kids. I just have to go to the toy town with this young woman I just met at a bar. <laughs> yes, you don't understand. <laughs> There's a crazy thing that is happening in my life right now, and I'm I'm having an affair, and I need to take care of it. He literally, like, uh, he his superpower is having affairs. <laughs> it's so cool. <laughs> it's literally like an X man whose superpower is that he has an affair with every single woman he meets in the world. <laughs> And also, he is uh, he is well lubricated throughout this entire movie. Oh like, yeah, he is. Like, he is. He's a doctor, and there's scenes in this movie where he's just going to a liquor store to get one like pint of bourbon for himself, yes, just for himself. <laughs> and it's so cool. He is like, it's it's so cool. And his his wife like is literally a wife from like. Uh, there's this like weird thing with in episodes of the outer limits i think i referenced it earlier where like so many episodes of the outer limits are about how a scientist's bitch wife will ruin his laser experiment and like <laughs> cause yes. a huge disaster oh, and i think th- i know it, which episode you're talking about yes there's so there's mel- there's multiple and like it's so many episodes are just about like how like a a guy's wife is a bitch and like it's it sucks for him and he's trying to do something about it and gets like some kind of comeuppance. And this this movie is about how Tom Atkins' wife is just a bitch and he <laughs> meanwhile he is sleeping with like, you know, the the fifty-five year old uh receptionist at the hospital who he <laughs> has like sexual chemistry with for some reason, who says like five words to him. Like <laughs> like the nurse who's some old lady, he's like patting her on the ass. He's like covering yes. her, he's like straight up squeezing her ass. Like it's so um, crazy. We were, we were watching this, and Catherine was like, uh, before socialized medicine, it was a lot funner to be a doctor. You could just basically do anything you wanted because <laughs> yes. you were you were god of the hospital. And then yes. he's just like, 
uh, before they bring in the crazy guy from the gas station, he's like, I'm just going to be a girl in my office. And he's just like dead. He's asleep on his couch. <laughs> Wakes up with a hangover. They're like, doctor, come quickly. Oh, what the fuck? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> and I love when you first see him when he comes home like to see his bitch wife and, and uh, ungrateful brat children. It's like it's like a Kelly cartoon in The Onion. It's just yes. like, ungrateful kids. And he's brought them the shitty knockoff Halloween masks. And the thing is, like, he's such a bad father. Like, he's yes, a terrible... He's so... He's a terrible... <laughs> He sees his father. kids once in the week that this movie takes place in. He sees them like, like one how time. Busy, like how busy could it be at a hospital in this <laughs> tiny town in North, North California? He's like, he but he's there every the night doing yes, doing was... brain surgeries, half of fucking three sheets to the wind. He's like anything other than go. A man's weekend starts Monday morning. Oh god. <laughs> oh man. Basically, like the only reason he's a, he's written as a doctor in this movie is because like they need an excuse to have him encounter a body. Yes, literally, he needs to be able to call the coroner and that he's having an affair with and ask for ask her to like rush the. Uh, can you rush this Autopsy one for me, results. doll? Can you rush this one for me, doll? Just for me, <laughs> and um, have it not be like weird. So basically what happens is like uh, the, the insane man who uh, says they're coming, they're coming. Like, they, you know, they he comes in and he's like, oh, give this guy a drink. He needs some bourbon. He's probably, he's probably his fucking wife's probably hassling him. I've seen <laughs> <Yeah>. this before. <laughs> they're coming. Yeah, yeah, she's coming, buddy. Just sleep it off. It'll be okay. <laughs> yeah. So then one of the, uh, the Mormon looking FBI agents shows up at the hospital and we get the first great kill in this movie. And like this movie is... People forget the original Halloween. There's actually no blood in it. Yes, there's ver- there's like it, it's 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 scary, but like there's it's it's very tame by the standards of like contemporary horror movies in terms of gore or the kills in the movie. Yeah, even, not the case with this movie. No, not even we close. Get, <laughs> the, we get the first extraordinary kill in this movie, where like uh, the FBI agent looking guy comes into like the the room where this guy this you know catatonic man is like in a hospital bed, and he takes his finger. And pushes it through his skull yes. and then uses his hands to, like, crush and reform this guy's face. Like, he crushes his nose entirely and just, like, basically just crunches this guy's entire face like it's a Kleenex or something. Yeah, it's like he's crushing a beer can after drinking it. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's so crazy. It's- so then... uh we, we get a hilarious scene of Tom Atkins attempting to chase this guy down, and he's like <laughs> really uh, struggling to run. He's like, oh, yes. <laughs> all the scenes of Atkins running in this movie, you can like hear how hard he's breathing. He like, yeah. he doesn't get to the guy with it's any like, time at all. <laughs> Basically, he tries to chase this guy down and be like, hey, you can't kill people in the hospital. This is <laughs> yeah. this is where we cure people, not kill them. That's down the road. You got to go to the killing the killing place. Oh, hey, buddy, I, fuck, I don't I care what your wife's doing at home. <laughs> you can't be killing people in this hospital. So the FBI agent, like, is able to basically walk out of this hospital, get in his car. <laughs> walk, yeah. And then calmly douse his entire body with gasoline and set, himself and, the, yeah. and set himself and the car on fire. It explodes. Yes. And Tom Atkins is like, God, I bet that guy's wife was a real battle axe. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but old ball and chain giving you trouble, huh? Yeah. I think next the next thing that happens after that, we get um the the introduction of the coroner character and Tom Atkins is very curious about this weird thing that just happened. 
Yeah, he he can't, he can't seem to get it out of his mind. Like, yeah, when he, just seeing a guy set himself on fire for after killing some guy for seemingly no reason. Yeah, he's a little bit disturbed by this, but really, like, and it's funny. Like, we we, we keep getting cards that are like tell you it's like Wednesday the 29th. Thursday, the you know the thir- you know it gets closer yeah. and closer to Halloween, and he's like, man, I'm disturbed by this. And then it's like Wednesday, and it just cuts to him at a bar smoking a, an empty bar <laughs> yes. at like two o'clock in the <laughs> afternoon, and he's just slugging a scotch, smoking a cigarette. He's like, I gotta figure this out. <laughs> it's so good. So yeah, like then we we have like the coroner or lab tech that he's also having an affair with. He's like, hey, put a rush on that, honey, and, and you're like, Wait, don't tell my wife. Um. And then, and then uh, the daughter of the, the, the guy who was killed, um, the, the guy from the very beginning of the movie, the, the guy screaming that they're coming to kill you, uh, his daughter shows up to, like, you know, To identify the body, like, <laughs> which is really and, funny. And, like, oh, yeah, she comes in and, like, and like, the, the, like the, the, the sheriff or whatever, she's like, is that my father? Let me see him. And they're like, oh, ma'am, uh, you really don't want to. You don't want to You want to wait. <laughs> she's like, no, I demand it. And then they lift, the, they lift the sheet up, and she just goes, oh, wow, I really <laughs> wish I didn't say I was ready to see <laughs> what his face looked like. Oh, boy, I was not prepared for that. Yeah. She's also a dime, and so Tom Atkins immediately is like, Oh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm curious about this case now too. <laughs> um, she is played by an actress named Stacy Nelkin, who I've described as not overly burdened with talent. <laughs> yes, not, not. She's a, you know, great, great gal, great, beautiful, great beauty, but uh, you know. She 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 gets the job done. She does what she can, you know. And by and by getting the job done, I mean having sex with Tom Atkins. Yes, literally. <laughs> so yeah, he meets she he meets the daughter of a murder victim, who's like also uh, you know can't explain the death of her father and what's going on. And she know but she knows something something spooky's going on. Something not right is going on, and she like needs his help to investigate it. And. What, what what again what I love about Tom Atkins in this movie is that yeah he's playing a doctor and his wardrobe is essentially exactly the same as it was in The Fog where he plays yes. a fisherman. He <laughs> definitely like, bring, just brought I'll his my clothes, own clothes from home. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so funny. And has to, another thing I love about the scene where he's just in the bar being like, oh, something terrible has happened. It's really bothering me. And then it's just like two o'clock in the afternoon on <laughs> yes. a weekday. Uh, like the daughter comes in and she's like, yeah, the nurses said we could find you here. It's just like everybody so knows funny. that he's a drunk. Like, I'll, I'll be in my office. <laughs> it's, it's literally when the door opens, you can see the sunlight just pour in this bar. It's, it's like so the fog funny. or whatever. It's so and also, funny. and another incredibly funny moment in this is when he's like, uh, he's at the bar and like the news is playing some report about the killing at the hospital, and he's like, ah, oh, turn this off. I don't want to watch it. And they turn over to the other channel and they're playing Halloween classics, and they're playing John Carpenter's Halloween. Halloween on TV, in which the TV announcer describes it as the immortal classic Halloween. And I just yes. love that, like, it just he's like, I just like. In another context, that would be like so grown worthy to have that kind of like meta intrusion on the movie. Yeah, but I love that like in, in a, a John Carpenter produced movie, you're, I mean, like for instance, you saw the original Howard Hawks, The Thing from Another World, plays on TV in Halloween, which is like his nod to like what yeah. inspired him. And in this movie, they're just playing his movie, and it's just like now the greatest movie ever made, yes. John Carpenter's <laughs> Halloween. He's like, look, yeah. if I'm producing this movie, I'm going to advertise my own shit. All right, yeah. <laughs> it's so cool. 
the the daughter the, the daughter character is like oh her, her father was uh, like of course a a toy store proprietor he's like one of these one of these toy star guys that's always going out of business because he like likes kids too much and gives them too yeah. many free toys and lets them play with the toys and ruin the toys but he's just about a love of toys and a love of childhood wonderment and playtime yes and she was like they they decide to go investigate this this mask factory in in the town of Santa Mira, which another is that like it's not a real town, is it? Santa no, Mira? I think it's sort of Santa Mira is sort of like uh, the country of Valverde, the like unnamed South Central American dictatorship that's reused in like Commando and a number of different movies in the eighties because they didn't just want to say Nicaragua or something. Yeah. So Santa Mira, yeah, is like one of these horror movie towns, but like it never used to greater effect in this movie. So basically, yeah, they're like, oh, so there's something. My father like disappeared after leaving the where he goes, the town in California where they manufacture all of the Silver Shamrock Halloween masks. Right after he visited that town, he seemed to have gone crazy and then someone murdered him. So she's like, you've got to help me go to the toy town and investigate the death of my father. And then we get my favorite part in the movie, another phone call with the wife where he's like, no, no, I can't pick up the kids. You've got to understand. I'm going to the toy town with this young woman I just met at a bar. You've got to understand. It's so cool. It's so awesome. He is like, the, the things he does make no sense. Make no sense for anyone else besides him. But when it's Tom Adkins doing them, it's like, Oh yeah, this guy is. Of course, he's doing this. This is what he's got to be doing. And I, I swear to God, like the town of Santa Mira and the town of Antonio Bay, I, I think they were probably filmed in the same location because they look pretty much identical. Yes, a lot of it when they're driving in. So what we okay, this is when they reach the town of Santa Mira is truly when this movie opens up another gear. Yes, because what we know of this town, it's like, okay, it's the town that's like a company town for a Halloween novelty company that creates Halloween masks and, like, fake, like, dog Joy shit. Joy buzzers, and, like, <laughs> yeah, fake yeah, vomit. Like, yeah, just, it is, it, it's like, spe- it's like a Hot Topic the town, where all the Hot yes. Topics are supplied <laughs> by this one town in California that was founded by a man named Connell Cochran, who immigrated to America after World War II to, like, fulfill his lifelong dream of creating a gag gift company in America, but staffed his factory with all Irish immigrants. So it's just, like, it's, uh, like, listeners of Chapo might remember when we visited the town of Helen, Georgia, outside of Atlanta, which is, like, a town that when the lumber industry went away, they were like, well, we need a hook. So they just decided to, like, recreate the town as, like, a Bavarian sort of uh, German style fun place with like sausages <laughs> and dirndls and you know things like that so santa mira is this town in northern california that's just all filled with irish people yeah and the scene where atkins and uh, uh stacy nelkin drive in to the town of santa mira is so funny to me has like i was <laughs> so i laughed funny. so hard because it becomes so sinister as they grow in this very bucolic american town but, but in the diner at the gas station at the motel everything is staffed by these like shifty beady-eyed mics who are just sort of like <laughs> yes. staring at them as they roll in they're like <laughs> roll up the windows, lock the windows. Them, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so again i was like when i first saw this movie i could not believe what i was seeing that like yes. it, it, it introduces about a third of the way into the movie it introduces like a town of irish stereotypes like it's a supernatural f- source of horror and yes. boy oh boy is it 
It's like they're literally like, oh no, do we have any alcohol in the car? They'll be able to smell it. Right <laughs> <laughs> uh, and like, okay, so they they stay at the local motel. Which is, you know, uh, presided like, over by a real fucking like, oh, don't you know this is the right room for the right price? It's don't you? It's quite <laughs> yes. the rooms are quite cozy to your accommodation. Oh, just please let us know whatever you want. Oh, oh, Mr. Cochran, he's a wonderful man, a genius. We all love him in this town <laughs> and his spooky masks. Uh, and the, but there's also the introduction of I like the I like in this movie. Um, the original screenwriter or screen, screenplay for this movie was written by the guy who did uh, the Quarter Mass movies in England. Are you familiar with those? Quarter Mass and the Pit. Oh, I've is heard a very those good are one. really good. I've, I they are seen really them, good. Uh, recommended to me by Dan Beckner, a friend of the show. Uh, but uh, like, so it, it, it's it, interesting that the original screenplay of this movie was written by a, a British guy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's very it's telling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because you know, like uh, the bog monsters that sta- that make up this town, or, or something. But I like that they, they do include a stereotype of the world's worst American family in this movie. Yes, like when the Winnebago pulls up, and this just, oh god, a mother, father, and their son of just oinking swine come out, and they are like the dumbest, rudest shitheads imaginable. Yes, they're literally. It's so funny because they're they're standing outside of their hotel, their motel room, their new motel room. And like the the rest of the cattle comes to the slaughter, and it's it's yep. these two. It's this family of this annoying, shitty little boy, um, who might as well be like the little boy from the beginning of Pixar Sodas, who is like, <laughs> um, and his his doting like um, you know, spoiling that mother who's really annoying and his father who won't talk and is talking about how he's like the big you know his his big mask sale sales he's the number one halloween mask sales person in the country yes and it's it's literally like um it's yeah this horrible horrible family that is just this disgusting american stereotype of a family and the other person that pulls up is uh, 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 a career woman who wants to have it all who is like <laughs> even <laughs> somehow even more annoying <laughs> it's like um i hope nothing bad happens to these people as yeah, they visit wow. this town <laughs> we hope nothing uh, bad happens so and like I just love like and like as it goes on in this town like they keep showing you that there are like security cameras everywhere. There's like this big black car that drives around. Everyone's like, "There's Connell Cochran! Yay, wave to him!" So like everything in this town is just indescribably sinister, and nothing yes. more so than the Irish stereotypes that populate. All the NBCs are like have like you know like a newsboy cap and are smoking a pipe <laughs> yes. and wearing fucking wearing the green. Um. Okay, the scene with the town drunk is another incredible scene in this movie where it's like Atkins has just gone off by himself just to get a bottle to like yes. while away the, the rest of the day so his hands don't <laughs> yes. shake. Yeah. And he's just like, he, he encounters the one non-Irish person in the town who's like in a, in, a, in a real reversal of stereotypes. He's the town drunk. Yes, <laughs> real. And, and like, he's... He goes like that bottle. I'm sorry, just that bottle looks a little heavy. And he's like, mind if I get... He's like, I don't got diseases or nothing. <laughs> yeah. And he's like he is like I don't know something about his his mannerisms. He doesn't sound or seem drunk. He's just like, "Hello. Yeah. Nice to meet you." <laughs> it's like, "Do you mind if I have a pull from that, sir?" And, and it's like a I think it's a nod to H.P. Lovecraft's uh, Shadow over Innsmouth, 
where like he like you know like a guy visiting the town full of disgusting fish people finds like the one non-fish person who remembers what the town was like before the Irish slash fish people moved in. Yeah, and he like he tells him the story that like oh Connell like everyone thinks he's so great. I don't like him. He he won't get you know a local boy like me turned me down for a job. You know like but of course this is all captured on the like closed circuit TV from Irish headquarters. And the yes. like the FBI looking IRA guys just find this. Yeah, IRA headquarters. <laughs> Jerry Adams just sends out his yes. goons who literally twist this guy's head off like a Lego man. They just yes. pull his head off his fucking neck. So you're beginning to think, hey, uh, these FBI looking guys, there's like something about something them. Something weird about them, yeah. They seem very like, emotionless instance, and strong and you Atkins know. calls his like one of the several women he's having an affair with in this movie, like the the lab tech is a rush the autopsy of the guy in the car. She's like, Yeah, like it's gonna take longer. Like all we found in the car were car parts. Yeah. Someone just like the this pile of ashes someone gave me. It's just nothing but like weird like gears, gears and, and dials. And gizmos, yeah. Gee, I wonder what's going on with that. Yeah. Um so yeah. <laughs> Atkins come back to, comes back to the hotel with yet another bottle, and uh, the the woman I her name it's funny I, I was watching the movie it's not until about like an hour and a half into this movie that I'm like oh her name's Ellie because yes, <laughs> she's such an afterthought like she's she's just young woman with Atkins yeah a hot young girl of of almost questionable age like he comes back to this hotel room drunk with like another bottle in a paper bag and then she just like offers herself to him yeah she comes onto him in the the craziest way just like he's coming out of the bathroom and she just like is naked and standing in front of him suddenly <laughs> she's like some people say i have daddy issues but they'd be wrong <laughs> yes um um I love it, I love the erotic style lovemaking in this movie. Yes, it is like it's, it's it, so funny. It's, they even have like the the soft music, even though it's a horror movie. There's this soft music, and most of the scenes you just see Tom Atkins' back. Yes, <laughs> it's like an overhead shot of his back, like bearing As, down on this this pumps woman. Away, yeah. Yes, <laughs> and then meanwhile, it cuts to the next room where the the woman who whose name is hilariously Marge, I think, is like. Um, she earlier was talking about how, you know, oh, these masks, you got to watch out for this, Cochran. I got to, I got to tell them about these masks because they're defective. You know, this, this, uh, the, the trademark came right off and it's like this little plastic coin. Yeah. With the silver shamrock logo. And she's in her room laying in bed next door. And, um, she's like, huh. And then picks it up and notices there's a microchip on the back. And she's like looking at the microchip and she starts poking at it with like a screwdriver. And this like crazy explosion happens and lightning shoots out at her face. And like um, then it cuts back to the the room next door and it's um, Tom Atkins having sex with this woman. And she's like, what was that? And he says, who cares? <laughs> Just keeps going. <laughs> so Probably good. someone's bitch wife. No, yeah. Leave it, let her be. And then but it cuts back a, to, oh my god, the horrifying, horrible. One of the, like, oh, this is we're truly at the moment. Like the gore in this movie is like another level. And this is truly one of the more like terrifying, fucked up images in a hilarious movie. But yes. this is one of the best kills. One of the scariest things. This, like it's like a laser just blasted open this woman's face, and the fucking oh my god, the way they construct that dummy head. 
where like the lip is completely split open and like you can see the teeth and like it's just like her face has been split in two yeah and then fucking... no eyes no nose like mouth like peeled back like and the very the worst part is like her hands are like moving up like shaking and like touching yeah. her face like she's still and alive then... and just like oh it's so oh, and then, fucking and then crazy. best of all though in the like yes. blasted ruin of her face a bee a fucking bee or like a like a locust or something i think a I think giant like a scary bug yeah a, a giant... giant scary bug just crawls out of like the laser blasted hole in her skull yes it's so and, like, it, crazy and like it comes out of nowhere and like nothing that's happened in the movie up to that point is anywhere close to what <laughs> yes, that shit was it's so crazy it <laughs> it's like it really truly out of nowhere but yeah then you're like oh <laughs> what was that about um i think <laughs> so, the next scene is them taking their tour of the factory right wait, uh, yeah before we get to the factory tour scene i do want to mention that like the day after their love or like right after the the woman's face gets blasted apart Atkins and uh, Stacey Nelkin are like post-coital in bed and they're sort of having pillow talk. Oh, yes, and he yes, goes, yes. And he goes, how old are you again? <laughs> and I'm like, bro, bro, like y- you already you already hit it. Like no point in asking at this point. Like in for a penny, in for a pound. Yeah. How old are you again? Don't answer that. Don't answer that. <laughs> yeah, actually, don't answer that question. <laughs> yeah. Feel free to lie. How and, old like, are you again? <laughs> yeah. But like she like she like needs to fuck him again because yeah. like he's just so hot. Yeah. He's, it's his doctor you know women are always after the doctors <laughs> yep <laughs> and also the next morning you get we do i know you've been waiting listener yes in this movie you do see tom atkins's ass there yes. is male nudity in this movie not full frontal male nudity but you get to see like a real man's ass in this movie for a couple seconds yes it's it's and it's beautiful so, it's well sculpted <laughs> it's it's handsome yeah. <laughs> Uh, p- p- pause at a uh, uh, time mark at one hour zero three point four five. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah. Now we'll we'll timestamp the Atkins acts for you. In yes, the we show will. We will. Yeah. So yeah, then we get the scene where they get to go on a factory tour, and we get the introduction. Oh, like well, the next day, like they're they're carting like uh, the the sort of silver shamrocks uh, goons, the Irish Gestapo, as we yes. they, they, we become to realize in the town of Santa Mira. Uh, Jerry Adams, Irish Gestapo, comes and like sort of carts the uh, laser blasted body of Marge out of her room, and Atkins is like, "I'm a doctor, like please let me through here." And they're like, "Don't worry, don't like." She's going to the best doctor we have, the doctor in the toy factory. Yes, and they just like cart her up in an ambulance and take her away. And Atkins is like, "Okay, we don't want to let on." what's going on we don't want to like we just have to pretend that this is normal and then the big black limousine pulls up and out of its steps one of my favorite horror movie villains one of my favorite villains in any movie ever yes connell cochran who is in every way shape and form the basis for mr burns yes he sounds like mr burns he looks like mr burns it is obvious that the simpsons writers i'm sure anyone can look this up i would bet my life on it it's based based mr burns on connell cochran it's so like it's so he's like actually i i would describe it as like a mixture between mr burns and hank scorpio because he's also when they first meet him he's so friendly and like (laughs) i'm the benevolent good business owner nice to meet you and very quickly it devolves into just full Mr. Burns of like Yeah, he's played by Dan O'Herlihy, who was um the, he's the head of OCP in uh, Robocop one and two. 
but you know he's like he's one of these guys he's got like a great like suit like not really a british accent but not fully in an american accent either very similar to vincent price in that regard where he's just got this like great evil enunciation of every word and like he presents himself as basically like Walt Disney, but for um, instead of beloved animated movies, it's for like fake dog it's shit. It's for like whoopee cushions, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he's just like this this benevolent all father of the Halloween gag joke industry. And he's like, and like uh, they, they get to go to the factory, they're like asking about the order done by her father. And then like the pig American family's there, and they get to go on the factory tour with Connell Cochran. And he's like, everybody, everybody loves a good joke. It's me, Connell Cochran, the, yeah. the, the godfather of Halloween. <laughs> and it's like, um, they take, one of them takes them into like, there's a small museum to like Connell Cochran's past glorious like inventions. And the, the father of the family is such a fucking kiss ass and is like, oh, my God, the, the fake dog vomit. This is like one of my favorite models of fake dog. Vomit. It's like literally it's, so it's, into it. It's <laughs> like the world of this movie is it, like what what is assumed or taken for granted in this movie is so funny because at one point the the wife of the swinish American family says to Tom Atkins of Connell Cochran, he's one of the richest men in the country. It's like you've never you, heard you of Connell Cochran. Like, a member of the global billionaire class class from making sticky toilet paper (laughs) and fucking halloween masks that are only sold once a year yes and it's like my my favorite part of the tour is um they're they're going when they're going through and they're like um they're walking through and they're like okay here's where we do the here's where we make the masks you know real simple we just melt down the masks and then we have a very secret proprietary process. And uh, it's trade it, secrets, trade yes. secrets. And there's a huge door at the end of a hallway with huge red letters ab- um, above it that says, like, <laughs> you know, like quality inspection or something. <laughs> Do not enter. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> oh, I wonder what's in there. <laughs> All right. Uh, I think we should just, at this point, just jump ahead and just explain the climax of this movie. Explain yes. what's really going on in this film. Because, like, okay, the girl gets kidnapped. Atkins gets chased around. He gets half-heartedly chased. Like, yes, there's one scene where he's in. running, and then he just literally, like, takes the momentum of his body to just fall straight fa- face first and lie down in the shrubs. Yes. He's like, I'm just going <laughs> to gonna lie here for a second while the... <laughs> yeah. The Irish SS uh, patrols the streets. Like, this whole town is just, like, everything is under the control of this evil Irish uh, toy toy manufacturer, this this Willy Wonka-like character, who... Uh, so, uh, like, where, where do you even begin here? I mean, like, his goons are robots. Yes, his goons Let's, are robots. start with that. That's a great reveal because it's revealed because there's an old woman sitting in a chair, like, knitting, and... Tom Atkins, when he sneaks into the, you know, factory, he's like, excuse me, ma'am, and, like, tries to shake her, and her head falls off and reveals a bunch of gears. And um, Connell Cochran is like, oh, that's a very rare piece you just destroyed. It's from 1500s Germany. <laughs> it's like, what? This this real woman who's a robot? Hesse, do you interpret it as it, like, is it just the people who work in the toy factory are robots? Or are all of the Irish people in the town of Santa Mira also robots? I think it's just, like, the, the Gestapo is the robots and the, the Wehrmacht and, you know, SS <laughs> of, of the Irish are 
are real people. And, you know, like, uh, before you get offended, like, there's, yes, the Irish Gestapo did do war crimes in The Sound of Tantamira, but there was also the clean Irish Wehrmacht who uh, were just, they were just soldiers. (laughs) They were just doing their job, okay? They remain untainted by Connell Cochran's Samhain evilry. Yes, they 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 had to fight against the evil British who were living in that town. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, oh yeah, also um, Connell Cochran, um, like an ancient Irish wizard. Yes, like, a he's druid. thousands of years old. <laughs> he's he's, like... he's a warlock. He, he yes. is, he he. You know, this movie promises witches, but you know, it, it delivers them not in the stereotypical sort of female style crone you might imagine. But you know, men can be witches too, and in fact, they're some of the most evil witches, especially if they're Irish. Yes. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's it's revealed like this hilarious setup they have in this room that is basically an empty concrete like chamber and that's set up with like living room accoutrements, like a couch and a TV and Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's it's um they're gonna demonstrate the plan to Tom Adkins. Trust the plan. Yes. Trust the plan. A storm is coming. One more day till Halloween. Get your popcorn ready. And this is the most traumatic scene. One of the most traumatic scenes in any horror movie ever. Oh my god. <laughs> it's so scene. good. It's it, so and crazy. Like, what's so funny about this is like Connell Cochran just is loving. It's a classic like movie villain moment where he really go, like he he just loves explaining for no reason his evil master plan to this alcoholic deadbeat doctor. He's yeah, like, someone's got to know how good this is because I mean, I can't <laughs> yes. even contain myself. I'm fucking awesome. You ready for this? You ready how awesome this is going to be? So, he's, so why don't you explain what what happens with the with the pig American family? Okay, so yeah, he's like, check this out. check this shit out. <laughs> like, yeah. Turns on the TV, <laughs> and the American family is led into this like living room, and they've seemingly seemingly been told nothing, and they're like what the hell why are we in here but like the the piggy americans they are they immediately the tv turns on and just on pure instinct they move to the couch sit down in front of the tv and the kids sits down right in front and starts watching and they're playing um before halloween they're playing the 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 final version of the of the silver shamrock halloween mask commercial and the commercial is like, put your masks on now. Time for the big giveaway. Put your masks <laughs> on now. And this kid puts on his pumpkin mask and he's just watching, like shaking his head back and forth. And the family's like, don't sit so close to the TV. You'll hurt your eyes. <laughs> and then <he> immediately <laughs> the kid like grabs his head and is just start, starts like squirming and writhing. And the parents are like, are, are you okay? <laughs> like, And he like falls to the ground and his head pumpkin like breaks open like a rotten pumpkin full full of like like destroyed flesh and like thousands and thousands of bugs and snakes start (laughs) oozing out of his like destroyed pumpkin head it's (laughs) like out of the mask the eyes of the mask there are like snakes and like locusts and like roaches just spilling out of what used to be this child's a child this kid is like seven or eight years old we cannot child's head this kid is like seven years old (laughs) it's like dennis the menace getting killed in 
And then his mother and father are killed by the snakes that come out of his head. <laughs> yes. And they're just watching in horror as this happens. And the the crazy thing, they're more scared of the snakes than they are horrified of the, the death of their son in this. I mean, they probably can't even process what just happened. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, what is going on? <laughs> and... But has the uh, the reveal of Connell's plan and what he and like again this is a test run for the commercial that they're going to show the entire country and yes. world where like they have engineered with their brilliant masks that every kid has to have and there's a great montage of like all over the country they're like you know oh like in uh, New York California everywhere in between Phoenix. except it's like yeah it very clearly all just shot in one neighborhood in California yes yeah <laughs> but it's this great like twilight moment of all these kids trooping off to trick-or-treat with their masks on and you just oh you know what's going to happen but the reveal of connell cochran's plan and turning that kid's head into bugs with the silver shamrock (laughs) masks is one of the truly most evil things i've ever seen in a horror movie i know it's so evil because it is so funny i can like yes it is one of the funniest scenes i've ever it is so like it is so beyond what you're expecting in how crazy and insane it is, but in also how just how how funny a concept it is. And he shows this all to Atkins, and in classic villain style, he he lays out his entire evil plan to Atkins, and then he's like, "I'm just going to leave you in this room tied up for a while. Enjoy yes. yourself for the next couple hours while you're still alive." But and as he says, Atkins is like, "Why? Why are you doing this? Oh my why god, are you this doing is this." And this is why says, it's so funny. He goes. Because I love jokes, and this will be the best joke of all time. He's like, this One is the best prank on the children. ever <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's a joke on the children. It's so evil. It's literally the craziest, most disgusting and horrifying thing ever done. And he's like, this is going to be good for a larf. <laughs> no, he's going to turn the, like, the children of America, if not the world, he's going to simultaneously turn all of their heads into bugs. At nine yes. o'clock on Halloween, he's just yes. like, "Man, this I'm gonna go down to history of books for this one. Best joke ever. <laughs> Guinness then, World Guinness Book of World Records. Yeah. Best prank ever. Most kids' heads destroyed. <laughs> yes. Um, but then he gets serious, and then it gets even cooler, because like if, if if he just said I'm doing this as a prank, that would be funny and evil enough. But no, there's another layer to his evil plan because he's like, no, I'm doing this because I'm Irish." And we have forgotten the old ways. <laughs> and yes. by old ways, I mean like before Christianity was even in Ireland, when we would just throw kids into a bog for like for our religion. Yes. He's like, in fact, the entire holiday of Halloween is imported from the Celtic traditions. Like, we well, never, never ask yourself, why do you dress your kids up and have them beg for candy? It's like, no, this is the holiday. This is the holiday of Sam Hain. This is a ritual of child sacrifice yes. that we have brought from the old, old, old country to America, who has sort of commercialized it. And like, because America has kind of like commercialized this pagan holiday, he's like, I'm going to lean into that and sell you all the murder devices that are going to like complete my mass child sacrifice ritual. Which, by the way, I am. Like the technology that enables me to do this is because I am making microchips out of little chippings of the Stonehenge pillar. Yeah, that was me. <laughs> yes. I stole it. What a prank! Yes, and it's revealed. You see this, like a, a council, a, a like console with like thirty TVs, not even th- like ten TVs set up in a big circle, and right directly across from it is the huge rock from Stonehenge, just standing straight up, like completely surrounded by like satellite dishes that are pointed at it and like scaffolding. And 
they're just like it's so cool they're using pieces of stonehenge to <laughs> destroy the heads a- of every child in the world this is a movie about like the folklore of the old country sort of like coming to america and merging with our crass consumerist new culture it's how the wedding the wedding of advertising creates a a pilot signal that can really you know because of how uh omnipresent and you know um how how you know present it is in american culture if you just all you need to really do is use throw a little stonehenge in um (laughs) well that stonehenge magic well that stonehenge fairy dust yeah, and a little Irish, uh, a little Irish life's magic. And a little just... Irish, a little pluck and wit of the Irish. Just put that in with yes. a little stone hands, and you'll turn your kids' heads into bugs. The kids, yeah. they love it when the bugs crawl out of the kids' eye sockets. <laughs> it's so I, crazy. I remember, I remember Alan Moore telling me once that, like, like his conception of like being a magician and like ritual magic is that all magic is like the marriage of like symbol with intent, and the magician or shaman. The goal is to get a community of people or a large enough group of people thinking the same words at the same time. And like that is how you marry like thought to action and intent. And he said in the modern world, advertising is the most powerful and evil way in which people are controlled ritualistically in a magic-like faction through whopper, 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 whopper. whopper. (laughs) It is that we are being controlled by the dark magic of the old country, but just in the new guise of advertising. And that is what I truly, what I think truly elevates this movie from like the actual very interesting and frightening ideas in a totally ludicrous and goofy movie. Yes, a totally insane execution that literally I cannot stress this enough is like if 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 you watch this as a child it will ruin your life like because of the bughead and, scene <laughs> and it's like and like th- this is of an era like i'm sure like were, were you going to have to have like your parents say don't sit so close enough to the tv it'll rot your brain or it'll melt your eyes yeah. or something like that oh absolutely yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Th- this movie like truly makes that literal in a way that is so <laughs> fucking funny and yes. terrifying yes um, and the mom even says that like right before but like yeah. But Tom Atkins, of course, they they turn away from his TV that is monitoring him. Um, and oh, wait, the funniest part is that um, the they turn on the TV and Halloween is playing. And yep. he's like he they're like, once Halloween is over, the the, the, the starts. signal. Will, yeah, the giveaway starts and they put on a, uh, they put a mask on him. And it's like a James Bond trap where the device that's going to kill him is Halloween. (laughs) It's the movie (laughs) Halloween. (laughs) um, But yeah, he escapes, of course, and um, kind of like starts going going ham on their their console of of TVs and... um, he he gets like he gets a box of the microchips and yes. like as the commercials playing to set them off he dumps them like from the the scaffolding over the Stonehenge laboratory he yes. dumps it and like all the lasers go off and like all the robots fritz out and like and as the TV signal is going out like it's just like it like it, it, it disrupts the the the, the 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 Irish signal yes it it, it, it it like it counters the Irish frequency that's going to melt the heads of every child and then there's a great moment of Connell looking up at him and just clapping, giving the Nancy Pelosi clap to him <laughs> yes. as he sort of congratulates him on a job well done thwarting his evil Irish master plan. And then yes. there's a hilarious thing where like Stonehenge like 
overheats and turns yes. into like a beam of light and just sort of like connell Absolutely. just becomes like a marshmallow man and just sort of like <laughs> yes. desiccates into whiteness it's so weird yes he gets blasted by stonehenge destroyed by his own by his own stonehenge it's his own celtic druid uh, hubris religion. yeah the hubris of the irish is that yeah. they they think they can control Stonehenge, but Stonehenge is far too powerful for them. The hubris of the Irish is they think they could do all this while also working on computers and having that kind of job. It's <laughs> yes. like, stick to being a cop, asshole. And then I guess the final reveal of the movie is that Ellie, the daughter, has been replaced by a Connell Cochran robot. Yes, yeah. And he's like driving, driving out of the factory and then... The robot kind of runs his car off the road and he has to destroy the robot. And there's a few like, you know, the classic thing where it's just the classic arm gags. and it grabs. Yeah. yeah grabs Very Evil neck. Dead style. <laughs> yes. And um, eventually he, he finds himself at the same. Um, I love the ending of this movie because he, he finds yeah. himself at the same gas station from the very first scene. And um, he is like, um, you know, where's your phone? Give me your phone. And the TV in the gas station is on and the commercial is still playing. And he's like, um, you know, on the phone with the TV place. And he's like, you have to, t you have to take it off the air. You have to take it off the air. You don't understand. And like, they actually listen to him and they take it off the air. And then, but he t checks channel two. It's still on the air. And he's like, you have to take it off of channel two. You have to. And like, it gets turned off. Oh, it. But the best part is, it, he takes it off channel one, and then it cuts to inside of a house where a child is watching TV, and the kid just reaches forward and changes it to ch changes the channel, and it's on another channel. <laughs> well, once again, what I love about like the very last scene of this movie, Hess, is like once again, the absolutely preposterous things that this movie takes for granted. A, that Tom Atkins could call a TV channel screaming into the phone and get them to stop running a commercial because it could kill someone. But then <laughs> yes. he's like, the next channel, he doesn't hang up and make another phone call. He like literally calls the president of television or something. Yeah. And he's just like, you've never heard of me. I'm, I'm an alcoholic doctor. I probably had an affair with your wife or, or daughter. But yes. uh, just trust me when I say that this commercial is going to kill everyone. Take it off the TV It's going to turn kids' heads into bugs. Please turn off the commercial. <laughs> <laughs> like, they, they, yeah, the president okay. of TV is just like, this guy's onto something. Let's take it off. This channel this channel this channel uh, does doing it piecemeal one by one and the very last last scene of the movie is like the, it is very much implied that the t the commercial is still playing on at least one tv channel as tom yes. atkins goes complete complete mind gone madness mode screaming into the phone going no turn it off turn it off turn it off and then it ends george like, c scott and hardcore as the yeah literally the the tv the light of the tv is flashing at it on his face like um and he's just screaming, turn it off, turn it off, turn it off. No, because, like, like, remember, remember, his kids have the silver shamrock mask. They're going to watch that commercial. So he's like, yes. no, if my kid's head gets turned into crickets, I'll never hear the end of it from my bitch wife. No. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but, yes, very uh, much uh, a spooky ending of not a happy ending at all of this, of this movie. But um, certainly... Yeah, the Irish win in the end. The Irish. Yes, uh, the, uh, yes the Irish always going to come out on top. <laughs> yes, always. The Irish, you know, you can only keep them down so long. The Irish are going to get, they're going to get their, they're going to get their comeback. Yes. Uh, as, soon as, as soon as they turn all those kids' heads into bugs, we got United Country. 
Twenty six plus six equals ten billion dead kids. <laughs> yes, it's it's truly. And the reason Tom Atkins is so upset, probably at the end, is because all the why all the housewives he could have an affair with are getting killed by <laughs> bugs and snakes by their <laughs> from their kids' heads. He's just really torn up about that. Uh, well. So yeah, that that does it for uh, the, the Tom Atkins edition of Goldie Scream Set. I just once again, The Fog, such a beautiful movie, and Halloween Three, such a fun movie. I mean, like this is a movie like you got to watch it with other people. It's a it's blast. Like, it's it is so, so good. much fun. And I guess that would be my invite to you to come watch it with Hessa and I at the Roxy Hotel and Cinema on October thirtieth, Devil's yes. Night, horror movie movie mindset double feature at the Roxy Hotel and Cinema. Links for tickets will be available in the show description. Yes. So that does it for us for this episode. Uh, Just once again, watch The Fog and be always be wary of the Irish. Yes. Watch, you know, if if this isn't a dream, then it means that this could happen again with the Irish. (laughs) We got to be careful. We got to stay vigilant. Is all that we see and seem nothing but a scream within a scream? Time kids, the clock is ticking. Be in front of your TV sets for the horathon and remember the big giveaway at nine. Don't miss it and don't forget to wear your masks. The clock is ticking, it's almost time. Happy, happy Halloween, 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 happy, happy Halloween.